Alan, every three and a half hours, go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
All right, good afternoon all. This is the Frank Report. I am your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, November 18th, 2015. It is about seven and a half minutes after noon Pacific time out here on the Pacific time coast. And if all that works out for you, we're live. That means you can participate in the show if you'd like to. 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. It is toll-free. You can also go to the chat room, which is located at our website. At the American Voice. Dot com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can also contact me directly. Yahoo Instant Messenger. The screen name is AVRN Talk. Okay, let's see here. All right, where do we start here? Well, as U.S. governors are, well, some U.S. governors are saying, look, we're not taking any more refugees. Why should we anyway? I mean, we're the ones bombing them into the street. Why should we take them now? I mean, look, wait a minute. What are you doing? You're destroying these people's lives. You're basically forcing them to move here. What, what, what kind of plan is that? Well, if your plan is to destabilize the United States, if your plan is to destroy American culture, well, then this is a great plan. Go to every jerkwater cesspool around the world, bomb the troglodytes into the street, and then put them on boats and bring them here. Wow, what a great idea. I guess we didn't have enough Mexicans coming across the border, huh? I mean, look at what Obama is doing, folks. Listen, come on. Are you really dumb enough to believe this is just all one big coincidental accident and, oh, it's a humanitarian thing? Really, are you that dumb? You might have believed that, though, I don't know, 10 years ago. But now, we are creating refugees and then shipping them here we have created a situation on the southern border where you would be a fool not to try to break into the united states and get some of the free stuff that you're getting flyers and pamphlets to tell you how to get when you're down in mexico like a travel brochure You know, I mean, and then the President of the United States sits up there on his little throne, writing executive orders, erasing U.S. law, and the criminals in the U.S. Congress sit there and allow him to do that? Oh, yeah, it's easy to blame Obama. And it's his fault. But he's not the only one. He's got 535 accomplices. Then he's got that whole little pack of lying homosexuals that we call the Supreme Court of the United States. 
you know, and look, Scalia has, you know, he, he said some things that, you know, indicate he doesn't really go along with the rest of the court on a lot of these things. But nevertheless, he's pretty reserved. Why isn't he on every talk show, every day, everywhere, denouncing his liberal, communist, judicial activists that are on the Supreme Court? These people should have never even been able to rule on half the things they've ruled on because they all worked for the Obama Kagan, come on. Sotomayor, come on, man. Those two shouldn't be on hardly any of the cases they're on. Because they've got a conflict of interest. But no, it doesn't matter. They don't recuse themselves. Oh, I'm above all that. I'm better than the rest of you. I'm a wise Latino woman. Oh, give me a break. Give me a break. You're a conceited, racist pig. Homo. God. Now... We have the United Nations. Oh, as we should pay attention to anything they've got to say. But you know what? While we have a president like Obama and a worthless Congress like we have, listen, folks, this next election, if, you, if you're still inclined to go out and, you know, play the little popularity game with the uh, voting thing, everybody who's in there now needs to be fired. That's right. You know what? And I'm not saying, oh, you know, if you're a Democrat, you should vote for the Republican if there's a Democrat in there. No, I'm not necessarily telling anybody to do anything against what they believe. What I'm telling you is this. If there's a Republican in office and another Republican is running in the primary, vote for that Republican. Get rid of the incumbent. Sure, go ahead, put another Republican in there if that's what you want, but not the same one. Same goes with the Democrats. Fine, you want a communist in Congress, go ahead and vote for a communist, but not the same one. Get them out of there. I mean, they, they're doing everything they can. They put this, uh, and you know, you folks... Wherever Ryan comes from, what is that, Wisconsin or something? I don't know where he comes from, really. I, that might be it, but you need to unelect him. Pick somebody else. Now, they say, well, you know, the Speaker of the House doesn't even have to be elected. Well, maybe so. Maybe so, but uh, that would be really good. That would really show the Congress to be what they really are. Not working for you. Let's just say you decided we're getting rid of Paul Ryan because he's just a you know rhino establishment guy, and that's who he is. He was put in there to uh, rein in, to basically get the uh, Republican Party obedient to the establishment again. And Boner just wasn't a strong enough personality. I mean, he'd break into tears, I'm sure. He needs to be unelected, Paul Ryan. And then if your Congress says, well, we don't care, we're making him speaker anyway, then you'll see. They really don't care what the will of the people is. And you know what? Once you realize, once it becomes clear 
that the will of the people means nothing to the president, means nothing to the Congress, means nothing to the Supreme Court. Oh wait, will of the people does mean something to the Supreme Court, and it's not supposed to. They're supposed to rule on the law, not your will. Oh, we feel like homos ought to be allowed to marry. Now, you know, last night I made the point that, listen, this court has overturned their prior ruling where they said they did not have jurisdiction to go within the states and tell them what marriage was. Therefore, they said, the federal law, the uh, Marriage Act, which stated in it that marriages between one man and one woman was unconstitutional. Oh, okay, I agree. Then two years later they rule, we are going into the states and we are telling them. We are ordering them to marry homosexuals because homosexuals is a marriage. Wait a minute, you can't go into the states and tell them what marriage is, but then you can come back and tell them what marriage is? Oh, okay, you overruled your ruling. What you said two years ago was obviously all BS and you changed your mind. So fine, guess what happens? The Protection of Marriage Act or whatever they call it is back in business. It's no longer unconstitutional. Because the reasoning they use to make it unconstitutional no longer applies. They overturned that reasoning. And so the only existing law on the books is marriage is between one man and one woman. Now, Al had said that, you know, Al Adask had mentioned that, well, you know, if one's one state and one's another state, well, fine. Make them say that. Make them tell us all that. Well, we were ruling on the states of the union here. We were ruling on uh, t- uh, territorial states in this one. And, oh, didn't we tell you? We have a dual system going on where we basically defraud you into believing that you're something you're not so we can control you. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, didn't we tell you that? Yeah, I like to see them say that. Because shortly after that, I think the hangings would start. And I would really like to see that. But they would never do that. But I'd like to see them twist in the breeze and try to explain how... They didn't overrule their ruling. Go ahead and explain that to me. So let's see now. You said you didn't have jurisdiction to go into the states and dictate what marriage is, but then two years later you march into the states and dictate what marriage is. How is that not overturning your prior ruling? Well, it's a whole different subject. It's not a different subject. The subject is marriage. The subject is the states. The subject is jurisdiction. That doesn't change. You can change the subject all you like. I'd like to see them explain that. They can't. So where are the clerks? Are you telling me there's not one clerk in this country that could say, well, I'm not marrying homos. There was one clerk, except she stood up with the help of attorneys, which you've got to wonder if this isn't just a setup, because folks, look, the bottom line, America 
I know this is going to hurt. America is no longer a Christian nation. Sure, there's Christians in this nation. Probably a lot of Christians. But, this is not a Christian nation. Oh, and by the way, see, I am not okay with the camp out there, which there's many of these camps, that like to run around deciding who's a Christian and who's not. They like to come up with names like nominal Christian and Christian in name, and and they'll decide. They'll decide because they say, oh, well, look at how you act. Look at how you dress. Look at what you say. You are not a Christian. Wow. You know, there's this controversy, I guess you'd call it, among Christians to say, well, you you can't judge anybody because the Bible says, uh, judge not, lest you be judged in the like manner. Oh, it doesn't tell you not to judge people. It just tells you what's going to happen if you do. That's all. But what is it saying? It also says in other places that you're supposed to know them by their fruits. Well, wait a minute now. Isn't that making a judgment that I can watch you? I can look at what you're doing. And I can decide who you are. Okay, so there seems to be a little bit of a conflict. Well, look, it would be, it would seem unlikely that any religion from, you know, the superior being of the universe who created us all would say, well, look, I want you to go around blindly. Uh, never judge anybody for anything and just be nice to everyone and, uh, you know, basically become a victim. Because it also says, hey, uh, look, uh, be as wise as serpents and uh, gentle as doves or something along those lines. You know, there's a lot of these things in the Bible that you go, well, wait a minute. Now, how would <laughs> judge not? Wait a Well... My belief, through word studies and other things, is when it says judge not, lest you be judged in like manner, it's, it, it is talking about judging peop, other people's relationship with God. You don't get to do that, or you're going to get judged the same way. It's, it goes along the same lines where Jesus told us, hey, You know what? If you deny me in front of man, I'm going to deny you in front of the Father. If you run around deciding, well, you're not a Christian because you don't, you know, you don't fall into the uh, little mold that I've decided what a Christian is like. Oh, but it's not me. It's the Bible. Everything I say is biblical. Oh, yeah, sure it is. Because you're not a man and you don't sin and you don't make mistakes and blah, blah, blah. The point is, you can sit there and say to somebody, look, man, uh, you know, what you're doing doesn't seem very Christian-like. You know, what you're doing doesn't seem biblical. What you're doing is uh, uh, basically you're openly sinning. And you can say, look, I, I don't want to be around somebody like you. 
But you can't say, and I've decided, you, you don't have a relationship with God because I've decided you're not good enough. Ooh, better watch out, pally, because you'll be judged in a like manner. That's what the Bible says. But this is something that, you know, lots of Christians like to do. Point the finger at everybody else. Look at them, look at them, look at them. Oh, wait, there's another something out of the Bible about, you know, pull the log out of your own eye before you start looking for splinters in other people's eyes. Yeah. This is no longer a Christian nation. Just because there are Christians in this nation doesn't make this a Christian nation. It doesn't even matter if there's a majority of Christians in this nation. This is not a Christian nation. Do you know why? Because your personal life doesn't matter on the international scene. The actions of your government represent the nation. And our government is about as evil and antichrist as you could be. You don't think so? Why don't we ask some of the tens of millions of people who have been bombed all around the world in the last ten years? Why don't we ask them what they think about the United States? Hey, why don't we ask the 5,000 dead babies every day what they think about the United States? Hmm? Why don't we ask the, oh, what, 2.2 million people incarcerated in U.S. prisons what they think? Why don't we ask the school children how much, you know, how much Bible do they get to hear at the public school? Why don't we ask the children, how was people created? And they can tell us all about, well, you started out as a piece of slime, then you decided to crawl into the ocean, then you decided to grow legs and, you know, crawl out of the ocean, then you decided to stand up straight, grow some hair, and turn into a monkey. Oh, but after that, you decided enough of this monkey stuff, I'm going to be a man. Wow, that's quite a story. That's what they're being taught in school. Folks, that is absolutely Antichrist. They just turned you into an animal. And you're sitting there going, Well, evolution makes a lot of sense. Like that retard that everybody thinks is so smart. Stephen Hawking. Like, why listen to this guy? Why, because he's got an electronic voice box in his neck? Big deal. Look, I feel sorry for the guy that he's so screwed up. But when I hear what he has to say, it's like, wow, you are one bitter piece of garbage, boy. You got real problems coming your way once you finally stop breathing. Oh, and by the way, you say, well, well, wait a minute, you just, you just, didn't you just judge him? 
Well, no, I didn't just judge him. You know why? Because I'm not deciding that Stephen Hawking is an anti-Christ, non-believer, atheist piece of garbage going straight to the pits of hell. I didn't decide that. He did. Oh, that's right. There's a there's a Stephen Hawking's uh you know article on the uh, internet right now where he says there is no God. See, I didn't decide anything. He did. Look, it's one thing when somebody's going around saying I'm a Christian and then they're lying, cheating, stealing, whoring, whatever else. And you go, well, you're not acting very biblical. I, you can't be a Christian. I've decided you're out of the club. Well, it's not your club. But the thing is, when somebody comes and tells you that they are anti-Christ, that they don't believe in God, and then they try to tell you, and by the way, there is no God, well, guess what? <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, now here's something. The Hollywood Review, they're forced to explain why there's an all-white actress cover. I can explain it very easily, okay? And no, you know, the black community is not going to like this, but that's tough luck. There's nobody on the, there's no black people on the cover, because you're a minority. And this magazine likes to sell to as many people as possible. And the majority is sick of seeing your faces. Right. Think of this. You have created so much animosity between white people and yourselves because of your piece of crap in the White House where you think, well, now... Yeah, now nothing. You're still a minority. And you've decided to instigate the majority. And you know what? The majority, whether they're willing to admit it or not, is sick of seeing your faces. That's the bottom line, boys and girls. Just like McDonald's has learned, you want to cater to the black community, you will alienate the white people, which is the majority, which is the people with the money. So if you're in business and you decide, yeah, gee, let's make McDonald's look like some gang hangout for gutter scum that can't even speak English that think they're cool and entitled to something. Yeah, let's do that. Fine. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem if you want to open up your own business and speak Swahili there. Well, gee, if you don't speak Swahili, you can't do business with them. I don't care if you think you live in a neighborhood where enough people speak Swahili to support your business, then go ahead and do it. I don't have to go to your store. But you know what? There aren't enough people who speak Swahili to support your business. So you go ahead, folks, who own businesses, and you go ahead and cater to the homos. Then, you know what? Let the homos support your business. 
You want to cater to blacks? Let the black community support your business. Yeah. And you white morons out there, you better start voting with your wallet. You see some business pushing something you don't like? Find somewhere else to shop. And the bottom line is, I really don't care what the CEO thinks. Keep it to yourself. Get back in the closet. Corporations should not be presented as social activists. They are a legal fiction. Okay? A legal fiction only created and authorized to do business, not to push their social agenda. That's not part of the charter, is it? Most Americans oppose resettlement of refugees. Yeah, wow. The French president, this is this is how these people have bought into the New World Order, and they don't much care what the people have to say. The French president today, you remember what happened in France, right? Yeah. Well, the French president today is welcoming 30,000 new Muslim refugees. Wow. Folks, it is getting to the point where if the government will not stop these people, the people are going to have to stop them by whatever means necessary. Honestly, folks, I mean, there comes a time when, okay, you sit there and you go, well, you know, I'm going to call the authorities and they're going to come and, uh, you know, Protect me. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And then they don't ever show up. There comes a time when you're going to have to do it yourself. Okay? There just comes a... Or die. Do it yourself or die. That's that's really where it's coming to. Because... <laughs> that's the end goal here. I mean... Our culture is already... On life support. It's not entirely dead yet, but man, it's gasping its last breaths if we let this keep going. I mean, our culture is sitting here on, you know, in ICU, intensive care unit, right? And every time Obama comes to visit, he tries to hold a pillow over its head. You know, hey, sooner or later, somewhere along the line, people are going to have to stand up and say, listen, okay, here it is. Either knock it off or we knock you off. But it's time for a break. We'll be back in just a bit.
have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 225 4646 
5259. That's 541 225 4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Wednesday, November 18th, 2015. It's about 1245 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's all true where you're at, we're live. You can call in 800-932-1980. You can also go to the chat room located at our website. There's several people in there now, and you can chat with them or ask questions, make comments, whatever. TheAmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can contact me directly through Yahoo Instant Messenger. My screen name is AVRN Talk. All right. Well, we do not play Stump the Room, but that doesn't prevent people from guessing and looking them up, which is fine during the day because we're not really playing. So I'll tell you, the first one was Eric Clapton, and the second one was Arthur Crudup. Now, you might say, wait a minute, isn't that an Elvis song? Well, look, Elvis is just like all the, you know, Led Zeppelin and everybody else. They just take these... Okay, listen. Back to a point I was making. McDonald's decided to hire themselves a black CEO. That black CEO decided to change all their advertising, change all their focus to encourage the black community to go to McDonald's. Well, in doing so... McDonald's has alienated the majority of people in this country. The people with money. It ain't working out so good. McDonald's has real trouble. And they want to say, well, it's because people want to eat healthy, so we're going to put uh, you know, lettuce on our on our stuff. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, for salads. To the black community, like that's what they want to eat. Listen, man, most of the black community, they're ordering one little box of chicken McNuggets and sitting there all day drinking the free coffee refills, making drug deals. That's what they're doing at McDonald's. All right? And you know what? You might say that's racist. That's fine. You can say that's racist until you go downtown into the hood and go hang out at a McDonald's. Because I have. Nobody gave me much trouble being a white guy because I was homeless. See, the black community doesn't isn't all that nasty to homeless white guys because they figure, hey, good, we like seeing you around. A white guy with a backpack, no home, eating out of dumpsters. Yeah, we like to see that. It makes us feel better. Because, you know, we're getting that welfare check and that free housing and the free food stamps. And we got our little drug dealing business on the side. So, you know, we're doing pretty good. And uh, the white guy's not. Let's keep him around like a pet sort of idea, right? That's fine. Allowed me to go to places that most white people could never hang out at. And see things that most of you will never see. So, when I tell you stuff like that. You can call me racist all you want, and I'll call you no. That's reality. And if reality is racist, hey, take it up with whoever came up with reality, all right? It wasn't me. So, my point was, you don't want to alienate when you're in business The majority, especially when the majority has most of the money. 
then we go back to what I was just saying. Oh, you think that's an Elvis song. Well, look at Led Zeppelin. Gosh, uh, so many of their hits were just traditional blues songs that they dolled up and did Led Zeppelin's version. Elvis, same thing. He may have stuck closer to the originals, but he still put his Elvis thing on it. And you know what the biggest Led Zeppelin Elvis thing really was? It wasn't their music. It was that they were white. Okay? Because here's the thing. The majority of white people were never, ever going to go to a club and watch some black guy named Arthur Crudup do this song. Okay? They were not going to go to a club and watch Muddy Waters. Because generally they played in black clubs in black neighborhoods, playing the black man's blues. They were not going there. So you throw a white face on it, some skinny white kids, and bang, you got big hits and millions of people buying their records. And they're just doing somebody else's song. Now, you might like it better, and you might say, well, that it sounds better. That's why. No, that's not why. Because if a black guy would have done it, same thing. He'd have had a black audience, and that's it. Why? Because, well, blacks and whites are different. We naturally do not commiserate with each other. All right, we don't we don't hang out naturally. Now, yeah, it happens and I've had black friends and I'm sure many of you have too. But as far as communities go, yeah, you might go to a club in Harlem. Yeah, black folks might go to a club somewhere in a white section, but everybody goes home at the end of the night. And there's nothing wrong with that, folks. That's not racist. Or maybe it is. So what? Why does racism have a bad, bad connotation to it? Because every time you hear racism, you think, well, you are denying somebody something based on their race. Well, that's not always the case. Look, just because I don't want to hang around with you because you are whoever... Not my race, you're somebody else, you're black, you're Asian, you're uh, Arab, you're whatever. I don't want to hang out with you. You're Latino, I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't like your culture, I don't understand your language, and I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm not withholding anything from you. I'm not holding you back, I'm not keeping you from doing anything, except hanging around with me. Are you telling me that I don't have a right to be discerning about who I hang out with? Well, yeah, that is what the liberals are saying. You don't have that freedom. You must hang out with people of color, whether you want to or not. And now it's gotten so far, well, because they were t- you know, telling them, hey, you got to do that too. But now it's like, oh, and when you do hang out with these people of color... You have to defer to them and admit, oh, yes, I have white privilege. 
This is crap, folks. This is crap. What kind of a society has the minority? Oh, wait, this kind of society. Every kind of society since we started has been the minority deciding what the majority is going to do. This is not new, folks. This is not new at all. The elitists are just using another minority group to bash the majority. Because you've always been controlled by the minority. Who am I talking about? Oh, well, if you throw them in some, you know, flannel shirt or something and throw them in a crowd, you might not know who the minority is. Because they're not a minority based on their race. They are a minority based on their social standing slash bloodline. That's who the minority is. And they have controlled things all along. Oh, sure, there's been little bumps in the road where, you know, they got tossed to the curb like during the French Revolution, the American Revolution, you know. They didn't last long. Everybody thinks we we had the revolution, created the United States, and aren't we great? And it's been 200. No, it, it hasn't. It was like 11 years, folks. That's how long the United States of America, that the revolutionary war heroes actually fought for. It lasted about 11 years. And then the Bank of England finagled their way in through Alexander Hamilton and gave us what we have today. Folks, what we have today could have never, ever happened under the Articles of Confederation. And that's why they had to supplant it. Because they never did get rid of it. It's still there. And, you know, it's arguable about how much authority it still has. My belief, because, for one... The articles say it's a perpetual union that was created by that document. Therefore, perpetual meaning you can't just get rid of it. Now, that doesn't mean somebody can't come in and defeat you militarily, burn down your capital, and put in a new form of government, and then it is not perpetual anymore. But what they mean is it's perpetual meaning by law, you can't ever get rid of it. War is not law. War is force and violence. It's not law, okay? So, they decide, well, we're going to have a constitutional convention. We're going to amend the Articles of Confederation. Now, keep in mind, that is what they were doing. They weren't coming up with a new form of government. They weren't coming up with a new uh, a new uh, charter or anything like that. They were amending the Articles of Confederation. This is what they said. This was their credentials, the delegates. So therefore, legally, that's all they could do. Now, how far does <laughs> can you go with an amendment? Well, look, 
here's the thing. An amendment is kind of like a remodel, right? However, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I have. As a matter of fact, I've seen it right here in Medford. We used to have a, uh, oh, Chevy's Fresh Max, right? And they built a brand new place, and they were there for, I don't know, a couple years. And then they went out of business. And then they said, oh, Olive Garden is going to come and be there. Well, Olive Garden came in, and because of the permits and all that, a new construction is far more costly, far more involved than a, a remodel. So Olive Garden, being a smart business, didn't say we got to tear this building down and put up our own because this is not suitable to our needs, right? Completely different kind of restaurants, not suitable. All right. They didn't do that. What they did was they tore that place down to the sticks. And then they rebuilt it. Oh, wait, remodeled it. Sorry. Yes, that's considered a remodel. And that's what they did. Completely different looking building. Different size, different everything about it. Inside, outside is completely different, but it was a remodel because the sticks holding up everything behind the walls that you can't see were still there. The foundation was still there. Even though you couldn't see it, you couldn't recognize it, it was there. This is basically what they did with the Articles of Confederation. They tore it down to the sticks and remodeled the new Constitution all around it to where we're at now. You can't even recognize the Articles of Confederation. Most people in this country would not know. And when I mean most, I mean like 90% of the people that you would meet anywhere. I don't care. Go to a college. Ask them, what are the Articles of Confederation? You would be disappointed. That's my view of what's happened with the Articles of Confederation, at least legally, because that's all they could do. But it's like the 14th Amendment. If you read that thing, I mean, you, you look at it, and it's like it's, it's, a consti- it's a little constitution inside a constitution. But... Didn't have much time here to get through the news, and there's plenty of it. None of it good, really, but uh, I'll be back again uh, tonight. And the news will still be there, and we'll get to it. So, coming up next is financial survival. we got a good day after that, so everybody stay where you're at. And as always, thanks for listening.
Second Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Wednesday, November 18th, 2015. Good afternoon, Al. Hello, Melody. Wendy Wilson will be joining us here in just a few short minutes. But first, let's go ahead and see what the markets did today. We have gold today. Um, it was a little all over the page, about a ten, about a ten dollar spread. We're currently looking at a thousand seventy, thousand seventy for gold, silver. A little pressure on silver, not so much. Down a penny at fourteen twenty eight. Platinum was down six. Uh, let's see, down seven. Here we go, down seven at eight hundred and fifty one, and palladium down eight. At 540, the USDX today down 0.02 at 99.62. Crude oil still holding the 40 level, 40.74 up 0.07. And the paper markets today, um, the Feds released their minutes, and um, they were 
Uh, the markets reacted to that today, I suppose. Up 247 points at 17,737. The NASDAQ back up over five, up 89 at 5,075. The S&P up 33 at 2,083. 10-year yield, 2.27%. Uh, Euro, I have to double-check the numbers on euro because this doesn't make sense. So it shows it's down 1.43, but it was lower than 107. So if it's down 1.43, that means it must uh, that had to have run up uh, considerably for it to be back down at 1.43 and still be at 107. So uh, I'm not sure what's going on with the euro. could be computer glitch, I suppose. Uh, European markets basically unchanged, both the Asian and the European. Wendy Wilson from Apothecary Herbs is joining us as she does each and every Wednesday. Good afternoon, Wendy. Good afternoon, Melody. And I guess is Al with you today? Yes, he is. Yes, Hi, I'm here. Awesome, awesome. I, I, I understand. Try to be with, I try to be here every Wednesday. <laughs> uh, I I thought we'd talk about Me the too. bat vaccine. I try you also. Know? Okay. Well, uh, I thought we'd talk about the bat vaccine. Have you heard about this? No, but does this mean we we can prevent turning into vampires or something like that? Oh, Lord. You know, anything's possible, Al. You know, because we've talked about, you know, science uh, with the likelihood uh, that they're intentionally developing ways for viruses that typically infect animals to to help them bridge the gap and affect humans. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I think if... If this is what they're doing, because this is what I think they're doing, uh, I think it's it's one of the reasons they're doing it is to create the threat of more pandemics to sell more vaccines. Okay, now there was a neat recent news release from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and they've identified a type of bat virus. It's a, a it's a kind of SARS virus infects bats. Uh, but now it can it, it typically was only you know isolated to infecting bats, but now they're telling us it now threatens the lives of humans. It's called a new coronavirus. It's called SHCO14-COV, and it was typically discovered in China in the horseshoe bat. Now, actually, um, a few years ago, I, I reported on uh, a lot of these scientists five years ago were going around and they were looking in bat caves for bats to collect viruses. Now, I don't, I don't believe in coincidences. Do you, Al? No, it is certainly suspicious. It's one of those things where they're looking for bat viruses, and from yeah. what you're telling us, to enhance them, to make them more you know, infectious for people, uh-huh. and you have to wonder, what the hell are these All people right. thinking about? Right. Well, it's it's about, you know, you know, uh marketing pandemics and vaccines to protect you. That's what I think it is. Um now, the thing is science has not officially stated if this new SARS bat virus is spreadable within the human population. In other words, if somebody gets it, are they contagious? Uh but they're already talking about launching a bat vaccine to ward off a uh pandemic of this type. So, uh People, I think, need to discern between emerging disease and an engineered disease and how they can protect themselves. Now, Which according, is more dangerous? <laughs> well, emerging disease is typically by nature, okay? Yeah, I know. Um, 
and engineered disease we know is man-made. Now, according to the University of North Carolina, this bat virus is going to enter the human body using the same receptors as in bats. And once inside, the virus likes to replicate in your lung tissue. Science has been studying bat viruses since 2003. They've identified 5,000 different viruses that bats harbor. So they have quite a large pool of infectious disease to deal with. Now, according to Ralph Barrick, he's professor of epidemiology at UNC, he says this, studies have predicted the existence of nearly 5,000 coronaviruses in that populations, and some of these have the potential to emerge as human pathogens. So this is not a situation of if there will be an outbreak of one of these coronaviruses, but rather when and how prepared we'll be to address it, end of quote. Well, they're already prepping for this. Safe. Yeah, I understand that. If you build it, they will come. That's what it sounds <laughs> like to me. Well, um, build a better virus, and the world will be the path to your vaccine, uh, your vaccine well, sales doorway. Actually, that was a question that um, Alina Lusakite. Lusa, Lusa she's a PhD. She studies a social construction, and that was the question she was asking. How do you get the population of the world to accept? what the scientific community is reporting on these new disease threats. How do you get the people to believe it, right? Well, she noticed something. She studied the bird flu outbreak. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. we hear about it from time to time. We're always threatened with it. It seems like we get threatened with the bird flu every fall. Well, Winter, yeah. Whatever. Okay, so she studied the bird flu outbreak and also the media reports on it. And what she noticed is more people were dying from other diseases than from the bird flu. She also picked up on the scientific community and the media's use of natural disasters to describe the threat of the bird flu. So what she says, you use metaphors of war and natural disasters to whip up anxiety and fear regarding, you know, whatever pathogen you want to promote. So, for example, she says the newspapers compared the bird flu to storms, earthquakes, and floods to imply its destructive force. And she did some research to check, and she found that the media, um, what they used uh, words, they linked words to the bird flu, words such as battle, fight, weapon, combat, eradicate, defense, and front line. And what she concluded is the use of these military metaphors were to imply a war on bird flu rather than on the animals that carried it. So she definitely connected the dots on how zoonotic diseases, which are animal diseases which supposedly infect humans, how they're described in the media. And she says the use of the metaphors in this instance, she says, have cultural effects by which dictatorial solutions could be implemented. And what do we have now? We have the bird flu now standardized in every flu vaccine. I mean, uh, your, your flu shot for the year. Right? I'm not even sure what standardized means. You're arguing <laughs> what it implies is they've got one vaccine that fits all. All right, and yep. no matter what it is, it doesn't matter if it's coming with a parakeet or a bald eagle. We don't yeah. care. Our vaccines will handle them all. Um, plus, we've got others to go along with it. The whole thing becomes kind of crazy. And when you mentioned that there's 5,000 uh -huh. of these pathogens that are associated with bats, uh -huh. You know, at first thought, you would think, well, the bats must be dying like honeybees. 
But the truth is the bat's population is apparently doing okay, which means these 5,000 pathogens are at least not causing much problem for the bats. Is that true right. or false? Right. Um, um, basically, they, the bat population is not, you know, at a threat. Um, if, they, if they carry and harbor a virus, if, if they bite another, like, cattle or another animal, typically they can infect the animal, okay? Um, so it's never been really a threat to humans until now, apparently. Uh, and you were talking about the 5,000. Is it really a threat, or have they just sent out some marketing people and said, we've got to have something. People aren't afraid of the bird flu anymore. We need something a little scarier. Well, well the bat association like, with vampires and whatever, yeah, I don't know. I, you know let's, how like about this, bats? Let's try right. turtles. Next year yeah. we can try turtle flu. <laughs> this is just like other, you know, pandemic threats. Back in the 70s, they did the same thing. There wasn't one case, you know, of uh, smallpox or any of that. And, uh, and so, you know, they created a whole campaign around it just to sell a vaccine. But you said something about the uh, 5,000 pathogens. Well, it, it's, it's more than that, actually, Al. Science understands the disease can rapidly change the population landscape. So according to the Scientific Collections International, a lot of research is going on in institutions all over the world, and there's this global network of scientists and organizations that share these disease research um, uh, reports. So there's even a museum which contains specimen collections of animals, plant, and human disease. Science have, scientists have access to this collection, and we're supposed to believe that they use it just to trace patterns in the history of disease. But this disease museum has tissue repositories and large sections of strains of diseases, and science can study disease genomes and their sequences and compare them to other disease. So they, this has really led researchers to actually be able to identify weaknesses and strengths in various pathogens and how they can cause infection. So um, they know how to turn on a gene here and turn off a gene there, uh, to, and, it, and it gives them the capability of manipulating the pathogen uh, in, the, in the gene DNA of the disease and to affect the receptors that uh, the disease is able to cross over to infect another species. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. I think I understand what you're saying. Um, in part, you're saying that gene, these diseases tend to be species-specific, or right. at least a class of species, specific to birds, specific to fish, maybe specific to trout, maybe specific to parakeets. I don't know, but trying to get it to cross over to people is unnatural, improbable, but the government or whoever are trying to build better ways to cross that bridge. Yeah, and here's the thing that's really interesting, that in the last 115 years, according to Echo Health Alliance, 75% of the emerging diseases, we're told, that are you know, supposedly emerging due to global warming and you know, uh, modern travel, 75% huh, uh, 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 of these diseases that are now infecting humans came from animals. So the, uh, some of the most infamous diseases of the 21st century, you know, AIDS, HIV, SARS, H1N1, avian influenza, all animal-related. So um, the U.S. actually That's what created... We're told. Yeah. Well, the U.S. has actually created the Emerging Pandemic Threats Program. It's called EPT for short. It's an agency that uh, also works with the International Development Agency, 
And what they do is they say that, you know, society is now paralyzed by pandemic fear, so we have to step in and predict, respond, identify, and prevent pandemics. Um, And I don't know if you've noticed, there's some hot spots in the world where you see pandemics all the time. These are testing grounds for disease and medications. Some of the hot spots have been Bangladesh, Brazil, China, Colombia, Indonesia, Africa, Malaysia, and Mexico. They even have predictive maps uh, that have been created for potential outbreaks. And information like this influences policy of government. So um, here's an example. In 2012, the British were all in a panic. Uh, Someone from Glasgow went to a wedding in Afghanistan, came back with a tick-borne virus and died. Uh, They traced the virus to a tick from Africa and Asia that affects domestic animals there. Virologists at the hospital were kind of surprised that it was now infecting a human. They were kind of stunned by it, but I'm not. I was kind of expecting it with all that what they're doing. So now a U.K. virologist is warning, Al, that we should expect a pandemic of such enormous magnitude that by 2017 will have devastating consequences of biblical proportions. This is Dr., let's see, John Oxford. He's a virologist with Queen... <laughs> Queen Mary Hospital, right, in London, he says, we have to expect for an animal-originated pandemic to hit the world within the next five years with potentially cataclysmic effects on the human race. You know, But it won't uh, be coming from animals. It won't be coming from government. I mean, the I whole idea that AIDS, for example, allegedly came out of a green monkey. Right. Well, I don't know. A lot of people just say, no, it didn't. That's just a bunch of nonsense. I know. Um, and I have... This is more man-made than monkey-made. I know. And I, are we almost out of time? Because there's another chunk that's real important, but I don't know if we have time to cover it. Two minutes. We got two minutes. Okay. Uh, Oxford has been uh, known, that doctor, he calls this the super flu or the doomsday virus, but the best virologists in science are working on genetic secrets for viruses right now. And get this, they say that this doomsday or Armageddon virus is going to be uh, able to take out the young and healthy in the population. Science is telling us it's because of these victims have healthy immune systems, which will create what they call a psychon, uh, cotine storm. In other words, they use the virus to manipulate your immune system to propel the infection. In other words, they use your immune system to kill you instead of the virus itself. Well, that's and, very clever of them. I'm sure uh-huh. somebody deserves a Nobel Prize or at least a bunch of money. Uh, the whole thing is insane, and the people uh-huh. associated with, from my perspective, right. this craziness breaks loose. I, if it was up to me, I find right. anybody who's even close to it, you're going down. They'll <laughs> put you in a tank full of this stuff. Well, just, right. to give, just to give listeners an idea, in 2013, scientists of Utah State University spliced DNA from a golden orb weaver spider into a geome of the goat named Freckles. So now when Freckles lactates, she spins spider silk in her milk. So, I mean, they, they are some really freaky guys out there. Uh, and I, mm. I, think, I think people need to know that science is reinventing creation and all we have to do is look at Deuteronomy 28, and God told them, listen, you're afraid of the plagues of Egypt, but you're going to be afraid of the diseases and the plagues not written of in this book. So well, we've got some ser- – we're looking at 
uh, we're witnessing the creation of modern pestilence is what we're witnessing. And what can we do to protect ourselves? Well, I, I say, you know, turn to God's good herbs because the scriptures are full of instances where herbs are for the healing and protection. Psalms 91 is the supernatural prayer of protection. Uh, we have immune-boosting herbs. We have cleanses to remove toxins really quick. So if you feel like you need some help there, give us a call at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663, or visit us online, thepowerherbs.com. Thanks, Al. Right. Thanks, Melody. Thank you, Wendy. That's Wendy Wilson from thepowerherbs.com, 866-229-3663. We're going to take a break for a couple commercials, and Melody and I will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
Hello, folks. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. 1-800-375-4188. What's next, Melody? Well, we're going to add 90% silver, $25 face value. Uh, they're actually quarters, $25 face value of quarters, along with our AU $5 Liberty gold piece for $675, and that includes all your shipping costs. So you will receive one AU $5 Liberty gold piece, $25 face value of 90% quarters, $675 is the special for today. Give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. Visit our website at dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. And, of course, make sure you sign up for our weekly newsletter. And um, if you have any questions, give us an email. Discount gold and silver at yahoo.com. Discount gold and silver at yahoo.com. As I had mentioned earlier, as uh, before Wendy came on, you know, they released the minutes today to the feds. Stock market's higher. Everyone is happy. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, we live in a world now where, you know, one and one just doesn't equal two anymore. So if you're happy and you know it, buy some stuff. Clap, yeah. clap. If you're happy and you know it, buy some stuff. That seems to be the uh, the economy's song. So the Dow Jones rose. It rose about 160 points after the uh, the minutes were released and uh, uh, confirmation, I guess, that uh, you know she could begin to raise rates in December. So you know, don't anyone hold your breath, but uh, <laughs> it's in the news. You know, just do it and get it over with. It's just so absurd. And I'll tell you what, if the markets are so fragile that they can't or that they have to carry this out for another month or two months, people better be buying gold with both hands. They, well, should, be, they should be backing up the truck uh, to the doors and, and piling it in because, you know, it is just another confirmation that this economy is so fragile and there isn't anything real about it. Yeah, including the money system. Exactly. Um, again, this right. this goes to the idea of having a debt-based monetary system. That right. is a, an aberration that is perhaps unprecedented. I don't know if the world has ever before had a debt-based monetary system. If it has, that says those one or more debt-based monetary systems, they've collapsed and probably collapsed the economies mm -hmm. they were associated with, maybe caused a political revolution besides. But the fundamental idea, I mean, everyone listening to this program should be aware that we have a debt-based monetary system. You should have heard those terms from people other than myself. People talk about debt-based monetary what does it mean? It means that where we used to back up our currency with assets like gold or silver, we had paper money out there, but it was backed by gold or it was backed by silver. It was an asset-based monetary system. They have now created a debt-based monetary system. The whole thing is insane. How do you use a currency that's based on debt rather than assets in order to buy things and purchase things? It's insane. It's irrational. And yet they've done it. And what is a debt? It is a promise to pay. Right? If we have a debt-based, if I borrow money from Melody, I borrow $1,000, 
and I promise to repay the $1,000. We now have a debt relationship. Melody says, Al has given me an IOU, and he says he's going to pay me back the $1,000. That IOU only has value because I'm backing it with an I, with a promise to pay. It's the same thing with your your paper dollars and your digital dollars. They have value because somebody, principally the government, has promised to repay the loan that lies at the heart of getting this currency into circulation. Somebody's promised to pay. Can the debts be paid? Can the promises be kept? And the answer is near as I can see, and a lot of other people. I mean, they're essentially saying the same thing, that debt can't be paid. This is of enormous importance. It applies to everybody in the European Union. There are about $14 trillion in, in debt right now, if I understand correctly. The governments of the European, the various governments of the state, the, the individual governments of the European Union are collectively in debt for about $14 trillion. China is allegedly in debt, including its state-owned corporations. It debt, its debt runs to $30 trillion. The Japan is in debt for over a quadrillion dollars worth of yen, which translates, I don't even remember, into how many, how many billions of dollars or trillions of dollars. I think it's, well, I don't know. But in the United States, $18 trillion. There's more debt than can ever be repaid, and therefore it's not going to be repaid. And why is that significant and even dangerous and frightening? It's, in my opinion, it's because of fractional reserve banking. The system is set up to treat government bonds as if as collateral in the banks. The government bonds are nothing but a promise to pay. Our banks aren't backed up by having, you know, a box full of gold or silver in there. They're backed by a bunch of IOUs, paper promises to pay, plus when they take these paper promises to pay, which they get from the federal government in the form of U.S. bonds, they can use these paper promises to pay as collateral under fractional reserve banking to lend more money than they actually have. If they get a government buy, if they get government bonds for a billion dollars and they put it in their bank vault, in theory, they, in this country, they can lend another nine billion dollars out. To the public, they have one billion. You can use it as collateral to lend nine billion. What happens if the one billion turns out to be no good? It means that nine billion has to be called in out of the economy, and nine billion in loans. And you can do that with one bank or two banks or fifty banks. And this fractional reserve banking is a brilliant scheme. All you have to do is put a promise in the vault. You don't have to put an asset, just a promise. I promise to pay. All right? It's like writing a check on an account when you know there's no money in the account. And they're saying, it doesn't matter. We'll just put this NSF check in the bank vault. We'll use it for collateral. And then we can loan out nine times the face value. If, that, if they prove that that piece of paper that they have in the vault turns out to be worthless, and evidence comes through and the public loses confidence in the government's ability to repay the debt, they're going to have to pull in some significant portion of the money that's been loaned into the American economy. 
and the result will be bankruptcies and unemployment and, and failed investments. And uh, I mean, fractional reserve banking is a brilliant scheme as long as you're on the way up. You can keep leveraging and making your, making your investments bigger and more profitable. Great, great. But when things go badly, that same leveraging works against you. And all of a sudden, when the government loses a billion dollars, the public loses nine billion. This is part of the consequence of the debt-based monetary system. They're using debt, which is nothing but a promise to pay. Now, I promise to pay. Well, so what? A bank should be using assets, not debts. And it's part of the madness that is almost invisible. The average person. You try to explain this. I try to explain it even to myself. And it's hard. It's hard to believe. It's hard to get hold of some of these ideas and say, well, wait a second. You don't suppose that could actually be true. These aren't just hard to understand. They're hard to believe, these kinds of ideas. But when you start to see, what does a debt-based monetary system mean? And how can it be rational? Do you feel wealthier when you have more debt? But that's how the system operates right now. And the people that are most indebted are probably, are arguably among the richest. That's how we get a house. We go into debt. That's how we get a car. We go into debt. One thing after another is paid with debt rather than assets. And the debt is nothing but a promise to pay. This is the same thing as the subprime mortgages and the people who were subprime borrowers. And they came in and they signed a piece of paper. Oh, yeah, 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 I promise to pay. Just fill in the blank. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. Don't worry about me. It was crazy. And it very nearly put the whole world into an economic depression. And we're doing it. It's the nature. It's the fundamental nature of the debt-based monetary system. You look at it and you wonder, how long can this hold together? In my opinion... I, I'm amazed it survived as long as it has, but it, a lot of people agree that it is approaching, you know, a point in time when they finally say, "Look, we can't run this Ponzi scheme anymore." When that happens, then what? You know, it it'll be a moment when paper debt will be wiped out around the world, and when it happens, the only people that are going to be happy are the ones that are holding assets as holding their wealth in the form of assets, physical assets like gold, silver, land, food, water, something physical, something tangible, not a promise to pay, but a payment. Very two different concepts. Take a piece of paper. If you got a piece of paper that says $100,000 on it, you don't have $100,000. You have a promise to pay at a time when most of the promises can't be kept. What you want, in my opinion, is a payment. Now, turn that piece of paper into a, the promise to pay into an actual payment. To my mind, that's gold, silver, something tangible. So, I don't know. The world is nuts. It's mad. And people just look at this, if they look at it at all, and they just, well, it works. You know? Seems like a great idea. It's been working okay for 40 years now or thereabouts. So what's all the fuss? The fuss is it's crazy. It's irrational. 
and it's bound to fail, although when that failure is going to take place is unknown to most mortal men and women. This Melody, do you know Melody? When is it all going to hit the fan? Soon. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. You don't have a, can you, do you have a specific time and date? will be about 2.30 on Wednesday afternoon. It's going to be within the next two years would be my prediction. But again, you know, I said for years and years and years, you can never underestimate their power and their ability to keep the system going. I mean, they have unlimited access to, you know, anything they want and they need through Wall Street, through world governments, through, you know, our own government. So, you know, to keep the system floating to me... Um, but it only makes the end far worse. Mm-hmm. And, but the day of reckoning is coming. And, you know, with what we see with, with, with this president and, and where we're headed, and uh, it's, I believe, I mean, they didn't even, even mention, and this is my big thing, they didn't mention that no one, no one mentions the debt. No one mentions the debt ceiling. We got two years. They pushed it under the rug at at a twelve o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, passing it, and it's just it's and that's what it's all about. So no, my friends, I think we're much closer than I think anyone. Uh, um, and it's not going to be nice, and it's not going to be pleasant. No, it's not. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be very dangerous and, and potentially lethal in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, and some people can see it coming. And this is the thing that's annoying about this. As difficult as it is to sit back and say it's going to happen, two thirty Wednesday, first Wednesday after January first, two uh, thirty in the afternoon. That's when that's when it's all going to crash. Nobody can say that. Nobody knows. We don't know the month. We don't know the quarter. We don't know the year. And yet you can see it coming. And I don't think anyone who has looked at our investment climate, our financial and monetary environment. If you looked at it for any length of time, you have to come away shaking your head and say, this is going down. We don't know when, but it is going down. Um, I don't know anyone who can look at it closely. They can say, look, I can make a fast $1,000 between now and an hour from now by high-speed trading. I'll bet a nickel. And with high-speed trading on the computers, I may be able to turn it into $1,000. Yeah, over the course of the next few hours. But if you get caught with that $1,000 in a form of paper debt instruments, when the stuff hits the fan, guess what? You just wasted your time and your wealth. Here, I wanted to talk about this article before we went into the second break. I thought it was interesting. Here you have Germany's largest trade union. They're opening a joint U.S. office with United Auto Workers. Uh, Germany's largest trade union. We only got 15 seconds here. We can finish it up uh, when we get back from the break. Germany's largest trade union, uh, again, is opening a joint office with the United Auto Workers in Tennessee to promote labor issues at German automakers and suppliers in the southern United States. I think it's interesting the way it's also worded as the southern United States. They estimate that 100,000 people work for German-owned automotive companies in the U.S., 
And unlike their parent company, uh, companies, factories in Germany, most of the U.S. workers are not represented by unions. What makes this, to me, I think important is because this is part of the goal of the Transnational Partnership Initiative. Uh, to, you know, help improve wages and working conditions. And here you have two countries now that I believe, you know, we're, we're uniting in this country with, you know, um, uh, whether it be laws, it, it's just... Um, what, it's, what it really seems like to me is that they're breaking down national barriers. Yes. And they're saying if yes. you're... The, what, the corporation is what counts. If you've got a German corporation in Dusseldorf and another German corporation in Chattanooga, those the corporate relationship is more important than the national relationship. And blah blah blah. Yeah. I don't know where it's, it's, it's not. Going. It's just another crazy, and it's not good, and it's another sign of the times exactly where we are as a nation. Let's take a break for a couple of more 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 commercials, and Melody and I will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Folks, I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival. What's next, Melody? Well, I guess we have another one that bites the dust. Louisiana Governor Jindal, he ends his bid for the GOP. 
for 2016. Yep, he was bowed out. And that's, you know, I've heard the man speak, and I would say he's probably the strongest Christian who's who was running for the resident, uh, Republican nomination. And I would say I, I'd be hard-pressed to point at anyone else in the, uh, the candidates among the Republicans or Democrats that are more intelligent than gentle. I mean, he was in, and in many regards, even though he's Indian-American, meaning his parents are, are from the country of India, um, that guy impressed me as being perhaps the truest American that was running on the, on the, uh, for the Republican nomination. But he didn't attract much support, I think, perhaps because of racial issues. Um, but this guy impressed me. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry to see him go. And his, uh, Christian, issue, and his Christ, Christian belief. I mean, he held prayer vigils uh, on, this, on the uh, state house uh, steps, you know, to pray for a change of, of you know, of, of things for, for the state. Um, you know, it's something that you don't see very often, so. Yeah, I thought, and it's, we see, you know, I've, I've seen President Clinton coming out of a church where they had somebody's funeral, and he's just laughing and joking with somebody else, and then he sees the camera, and many of you have seen the same thing. He sees the camera watching, and all of a sudden, he and his, he and his uh, buddy, they stop laughing and put on a serious face as if they Brown. care about it. It was, was the funeral of Brown, I Might think. be, I don't yeah. know. But it was just, there's, there, it's not unusual to see politicians claim to be religious, all right? They have, they have their little prayer meetings, the rest of it. But Jindal impressed me as being sincere. All right? There's all kinds of con artists that will profess to be religious. Jindal impressed me as being sincere. And yeah, now he's gone. He's gone from this election. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wish I would have liked to have seen him accomplish more. I would have liked to have seen, to have, seen him done a better job. Break into the tier and you know what? Maybe uh, he debates rather than being stuck in the second rank in the second uh, second tier. But and maybe he would if Trump had not garnered so much of the attention. So yeah, you know, time, you never know. But I think I think it's just bad. the world. This country wasn't ready for somebody from India to be president yet, uh, or at least someone with. Uh, you know that. what? I don't even think that really matters anymore. I, I don't, I don't think, think it matters. No. I don't think it matters. I don't think it. I don't think it should matter, but I think maybe it did matter. I don't. I just think. I think he might, perhaps he would have had a lot of them would have had a little bit. Hey, divide up uh, Trump's percentage points among some of those, and they all would have had a higher rating to where they would have received higher um, uh, media attention and so forth. Well, I get that, but you know, on the other hand, you but know, no, he wouldn't have Trump been the nominee. The no, the, the 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 debates would have been a colossal bore. All right, it would be one candidate after another trying to advocate the party line. Trump has stirred things up, so we've had casualties as a result of that, and maybe it's a lesson to everybody. Everybody is maybe is considering running for president, is sitting around saying. You know, it's a crazy world out there. They agree with us on that. But from their perspective, it's crazy because maybe they're going to be forced to tell the truth. 
some of them are thinking, this is crazy. The voters want the truth. I don't know what to do. Well, maybe they will have to tell the truth. Maybe they'll have to deal with problems rather than try to paper them over and deceive the public and so on. That's what we're used to. We take it for granted. We're going to be conned. We're going to be deceived. That's what politicians do. And uh, Trump might not do that. You know, I wouldn't guarantee that in any politician, and I know that forces can be brought to bear on anybody who gets into the White House where you find yourself caught in circumstances that you didn't think you could have were possible and they force you to do things you didn't think you wanted to do. Could happen to Trump also. But for the moment, you know, you know it's kind of like uh, Animal House. He is bringing a certain amount of integrity to... And the movie where we, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like the John Belushi of the of the Republican Party. For those of you who all remember John, he died from a drug overdose 30 years ago. Anyway, maybe 40. I'm not sure. Probably in the neighborhood of 40 years ago. But he was a disruptive influence. And pardon me. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheese, wasn't he? Didn't yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturday Night Live, and Animal House, and I don't remember what all he was in. Um, Bush, or excuse me, Trump is a little bit like that. Uh, people like him just because, hey, he's stirring things up. You know? So, in any case, Jindal's gone, and uh, we might see him again in 2020. Although I wouldn't bet on it. He said, in his, he said, I've come to the realization that this is not my time. Um, he's the third contender to bail out of the race. Of the Republican race, third Republican contender to exit the race. All of them are governors, former Texas Governor Rick Perry. He's bailed out. I don't know why he even tried to do it. You know, he couldn't do much better than he did the last time, and he didn't do well then. Uh, Mm -hmm. Governor Wisconsin, Governor Scott Walker, he also uh, cut bait. And now uh, Louisiana Governor uh, Bobby Jindal, he's gone. So, it's kind of like, you know, Agatha Christie's story, and then there were none. Or maybe it'll be, and then there was Trump. Do you think they'll all bail out before uh, Trump actually wins the nomination? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's still too early to tell, but it really does seem like, uh, you know, he's there to you know, to win, and the nominee anyway. And uh, But if Hillary is there, I, he, I just don't see Trump as a good uh, debater when it comes to the Democrats. I just... Well, we'll watch and see. But, you know, Hillary is congenital. She may be... I don't know if she's a better debater. She's certainly a better liar. All right? I just mm-hmm, get, She is. Yeah, she's a better she liar. She is a better liar. Give her that. Um, but is that what but you maybe, want to that knows what's with, that's what we wind up with time after time, but is that what we want to vote for? Vote for Hillary. She's the best liar. I don't know. Is that a bumper sticker, Melody? <laughs> Let's make one if it isn't. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's got an article here, the world's, this is from International Man, the world's first cashless society is here, a totalitarian's dream come true. And the article declares central planners around the world are waging a war on cash. Just the last few years, Italy made cash transactions over a thousand euros illegal. 
Switzerland proposed banning cash payments in excess of 100,000 francs. They proposed, they haven't done it yet. Russia banned cash transactions over $10,000. Spain banned cash transactions over 2,500 euros. Mexico made cash payments of more than 200,000 pesos illegal. Uruguay banned cash transactions over $5,000, and France made cash transactions over 1,000 euros uh, illegal, down from the previous limit of 3,000. An international man perceives this war on cash as a favorite uh, project of the economic central planners and claims they want to eliminate hand-to-hand currency so that the government can document, control, and tax everything. Do you think that's true, Melody? Do you think that's what the government is up to? Is there really a war on cash? Well, certainly the, the, the whole you know agenda is heading that way. I mean, to a cashless society. I mean, you know, with yeah, the, kind with, of the, with the computers and you know, and uh, uh, but certainly, and, and they always use money laundering as their excuse to to track cash. Yeah, but drugs and money laundering. The money in the world, Melody. Yeah. Drugs and money all, laundering was all was just, always drugs and money laundering was yeah. always their reason to uh uh track the cash. I understand, but that's the express reason, but the real reason is in order to tax everything. They want to know what money you've got and where you spend every single dime. Now the problem they've got with this, the great advantage of cash is that it's anonymous. There's no third party to the transaction, or at least not to the current transaction. If I want to buy something for $1,000 worth of cash, I can pay the $1,000 and I get whatever it is I'm purchasing, and there's no record of it that the government can easily find and, and, trans- and, and, and monitor. Um, but at the same time, we see these reports that there may be a war on cash, and these reports may be valid. And the reason is to eliminate the anonymity of cash transactions and make sure that everybody's paying their fair share, including prostitutes and drug dealers and mafia bosses and the rest of that sort of thing. Everybody, that's the theory, but the real theory is we're going to squeeze the blood out of every taxpayer who's out there. They're going to squeeze us to the maximum degree possible. At the same time, the cash transactions are increasingly restricted and therefore we suffer this loss of anonymity in our financial affairs. At the same time, we're seeing things like Bitcoin turn up in the, in the, on the Internet. And Bitcoin is not the only cryptocurrency that's out there. But the point is, one door is closing. We're not going to have paper dollars maybe before this is all over. But will we have digital dollars that are accessible to all of us and continue to preserve our anonymity. And it's an interesting question to me because, again, one door closes, another one opens. Is there a certain amount of pressure for an anonymity that no matter what they do, there's going to be some anonymity in our transactions? Do you think, that's, do you think they, there's, there's a way of maintaining any anonymity in our, in our financial affairs, or are we doomed to reveal everything to government, whether we want to or not. 
Well, I think we're beyond that. I mean, I think we're already there. Government knows everything that you do, and people do it willingly and openly. Um, they don't, you know, I mean, how many people actually use cash nowadays? I do. You know, there's what, you know, 5% or less of the people use actual cash? Everyone uses their debit cards. Everyone uses their credit cards for most of their shopping and purchases, you know, because it's online. Right. Everything is tracked That's, already. And people the want big, it. it, it they keep the big, track of where you're spending your money. You get the report every month on how you spent your money, and uh, it's helpful to people. A lot of people like that. But while you're getting the report, so is the government. Gov- yeah. But it's been like that for a long time. $10,000 a month, and you're claiming on your income tax to only earn $5,000 a month. They're going to send somebody down to say, hi, where'd you get the extra five grand a month? I mean, no doubt I think there's a movement for a cashless society. I agree with that. Uh, I think with the laws, with the, um, what is it, the FA, the FATCA, you know, where it tracks uh, um, U.S. citizens' accounts, bank accounts overseas, and if banks don't comply with uh, releasing the information, you know, they, they get penalized and fined and all kinds of things. So, you know, they willingly have given up the information on U.S. account holders. We saw it happen in Switzerland, you know, meant several years ago, five, six, seven years ago. So um, they, they don't want a lot of this cash flowing. And, uh, you know, the next excuse, it used to be drugs and it was money laundering. Now is going to be terrorism. You know, they'll use that excuse, but absolutely they want a cashless society. Well, I understand. Uh, I have no objection to a cashless society as long as you can engage in transactions that don't require a third party. But that will be the point. When we get into a pure cashless society, if you are uppity and you have been saying things that the government doesn't like, the government can just turn off your access to your debit card. <laughs> now what are you going to do? Yep. All right. You better toe the line, ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to live in a cashless society, unless you have something like gold and silver that you can rely on, or perhaps you're going to look at something like Bitcoin. But well, I don't think Bitcoin is any different. Uh, well, it I may be, it. as it exists right now, that may be, but still, it could be refined to a point where it is different. It's still it's a computer. New. It's a completely and you... new concept. All right? It hasn't been around here for long. Get all the kinks out of it. There's no telling what can And it's happen. just like anything else, though, when it comes to government and it comes to control. They offer this brand-new program. Well, well, you know, you'll, have all, you'll be able to hide. You'll be able to do this and do that. And they suck everybody in there. And then the next thing you know, well, gee, it's the same old game that they played on us before. Shame on us. Fool it's us. like tracking, trapping you know, squirrels and pigs if with you want and corn. To Put be- out a little reward, and they'll all come into the cage. We're out of time, Melody. We're going to have to let this go until manana. Melody and I will be back, and uh, hope you'll tune in at that time. In the meantime, with the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at Freeze Dry Guy at Lancet.com. That's Freeze Dry Guy at L-A-N-S-E-T.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. What an expert says about distilled water. If you decide on bottled water, make sure it's distilled. However, in the long run, you'll save money if you clean your water at home. It's more convenient than hauling gallon jugs from the store. The gold standard for purifying your water is a system that distills your water and filters it. You have the comfort of knowing there is no chlorine, fluoride, bacteria, viruses, pesticides, or lead. You get nothing but H2O. Maximum health. Dr. Robert D. Willis Jr., M.D. Order your tabletop water distiller for $139.99 postpaid. It comes with everything you need to get pure distilled water. Go to superstore.theamericanvoice.com. That's superstore.theamericanvoice.com. Order now. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men 
of the Green Beret. Silver wings upon their chest. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three win the Green Beret. Train to live off nature's land. Trained in combat, hand to hand. Men who fight by night and day. Courage takes from the Green Beret. Silver wings upon their chest. These are men. America's best 100 men will test today but only three win the green beret back at home a young wife waits her green beret has met his fate he has died for those oppressed Leaving her This last request All right, guys. Well, here we are. Another day. We're making it. Uh, even though I had some people come over uh, last night, and I had a carbine from Vietnam. And uh, my wife throws a once-a-year hangar sail. Usually, she tries to make me move my airplane out of the hangar, my Harley-Davidson, and she sets up inside the hangar. Well, this year, uh, she could tell I was not feeling like moving my rocket, twin-engine old Cessna, uh, and my Harley, which was broke down at that time. I got it fixed yesterday, but out of the hangar. So she put the sail on out in the in the concrete uh, taxiway space. And uh, she had armoire. She got all kind of stuff, a lot of stuff she didn't want me to see because it's stuff that, uh, that are treasures of mine. And then she said, you know, I'd like something uh, to really be an attraction for this uh, show, uh, this garage sale or hangar sale. And I said, all right. I said, what is your best piece out here? She had an old armoire. She said, I'm, I'm hoping to get $150 for this. You know, this is poor people in Sandy Valley. So I said, i tell you what. I said, I've got a carbine from Vietnam with a bayonet and about four magazines of 30-round ammunition. I said, I will give that to you. If you get somebody to pay $150 for this piece of junk, I said, then you can sell them the carbine, the bayonet, and the 30-round, of which were full of carbine ammunition, for $150, too. Jiminy, some cowboy came by, uh, and even before, the night before, and she was putting everything out and uh, bought, saw the carbine, 
And she said, well, you got to buy the armoire. So he paid $300, got the armoire, carbine with fixed bayonet and four magazines of ammunition. Uh, so it was his birthday yesterday. He was 51 years old and a retired sergeant major. I wanted to give him a big surprise. So he had a plaque made up that said, Fifth uh, Special Forces Group, 1964, uh, A322 Camp Suida, Nuebaden Mountain, which uh, that was my first A camp. And uh, Suida means uh, Rock Creek in Vietnamese. And Nui Ba Din uh, is Vietnamese for Black Virgin Mountain. And he had it uh, put on a plaque, and he said, you know, Bo, he said something historic like this. He said, you know, guys would uh, pay you $1,000 for this gun. I said, don't tell me about it. I said, I gave it to Judy because... I didn't think anybody would give her $150 for an old antique armoire. I said, so I threw that carbine in to attract people, but that cowboy bought it before the sun could even come up. Anyway, he's a very nice guy. He's a new fellow that moved in with his uh, wife, uh, and now he's got himself a, a genuine carbine with uh, 30 round magazines and a bayonet, if you can find anything to stick it into. You need to come out west. You know, we don't have the floods. We haven't had the drought. I mean, this is the Mojave Desert. But, uh, you know, the water table out there, we're on an old dry lake bed. And uh, you blow a hole like I have out there in a dry lake, and 15 feet, you got water. So uh, we just don't have the extremes. Now, it does get hot in the summer. You stay inside. Uh, but in the winter, in the daytime, you're out riding the Harley-Davidson. Uh, the West. Remember, go West, young man. And, uh, you know, it's dry. The humidity out here is uh, 10% or less. Uh, things last. Uh, my Harley didn't have a bit of rust on it, neither did my old rocket, and uh, I like it. I've been living out here since 1983, and uh, I, it's my dream. I think it might be uh, the wife's nightmare. Let me tell you about uh, this desert area. When uh, Joseph Smith was martyred, Brigham Young took over the Young Mormon Church. And uh, they were having trouble. In Missouri, uh, Governor Boggs, B-O-G-G-S, you can look it up on your internet, issued a letter of extermination. You could go out and shoot and kill Mormons like uh, you could jackrabbits, only it was an official from the governor letter of extermination. They wanted to get rid of the Mormons. So Brigham Young uh, brought the Mormons west. 
and uh, they got out of Missouri. Uh, they came across uh, the Great Plains states, and uh, they went in they, uh, to the first crest. You get across the Rocky Mountains, and there you are in Wyoming and uh, Utah and Arizona, which is uh, all of that is a, a mountain range. And, of course, Arizona uh, connects uh, to Nevada, uh, which connects to Idaho. Now, the Mormon church settled in the Salt Lake Valley, and uh, uh, they were very diligent about farming, and, uh, you know, they were very clannish. So when you get... uh, uh, thousands of people who are all uh, working as if they were in one family. Uh, and that was the reason why people uh, previously uh, from New York uh, to Missouri had got angry with the Mormons is because being clannish, uh, they could vote their people into local offices. Uh, it meant that their stores did business uh, and so they made more money than the not-Mormon uh, establishments, and they had their own militia, and so uh, it was non-habit farming. Governor Boggs, I name a state where uh, you had a, a governor who issued an extermination order. I mean, it's hard to name uh, some of these kind of things that happened. Look at Daddy Bush. Tell me some someplace. But this is uh, on record on CBS where the President of the United States, Daddy Bush, says, get Bo Greitz. Now, wouldn't you think that you would get got? I thought I was got. I thought I was going to get squished like a June bug. But here is where in the, in the Gospels we see uh, Yeshua Messiah saying, When you go before the magistrates, don't worry what to say. It'll be given for you. You know, I have been tried uh, criminally in uh, the only, uh, in Oklahoma, the grand jury found no true bill. In California, the FBI came to my rescue. The U.S. attorney uh, would not uh, prosecute me. In Nevada, uh, the U.S. attorney personally prosecuted me, but he lost the case. And the uh, head of the jury, the jury foreman, came up to me as uh, the trial was over and we were leaving on the elevator and said, Colonel, we just wanted you to know we weren't going to find you guilty of anything. You see why I have faith in the system It's not in the judges. It's not in the lawyers. It's in the jury system. That's why I admonish you, never get out of jury duty. Seek and find and see if you can't get on juries because the the juryman that knows the power actually can change the law. You're one of the most uh, powerful Americans in the country when you're sitting on that jury. 
no matter what the judge says, you can find as you will. And so we do have the ballot box that we normally adjust our laws by. We have uh, the jury box, which if we don't like the law, then we don't find people guilty of violating that law. And in my case, it was that I had used false passports, and it was the truth. I'd used false passports all my adult life. But I was a special forces operator. This was my job. The jury knew that. So they weren't going to find me guilty no matter what. And it cost the U.S. attorney his job because he admitted before network television, George Bush called me up and told me to get Bo Greitz. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, the Mormons specifically because on the news today and yesterday, they have been hooting and hollering about Mitt Romney collecting 10 million, 10.5 million dollars when he came to Nevada. Now with nobody, I mean Nevada has the largest unemployment, it's about 18%. When you have the largest unemployed state, and you have the casinos. They just closed up the Sahara Casino. It's one of the, on the Strip, it's one of the oldest, most famous uh, casinos. 1,100 people lost their jobs just Saturday. Lock the doors at noon. That's it. It's just going to sit there. And Mitt Romney comes to town, and this weekend he collects in one stop. $10,500,000. And so to the networks, this means that Mitt Romney is Superman, that all of a sudden he's the front runner for the Republican Party. All of a sudden, somehow, he has been anointed and appointed. Friends, <laughs> you know, sometimes I wonder, these people... I think what it is is that uh, the good-looking uh, ladies that they pay not so much money to be anchors and to be news reporters, you know, they have their own news show like on CNN, and uh, the people uh, that are the uh, hourly long, uh, you have Fox that... that is the conservative side, and uh, CBN, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS. These people are, they don't go outside enough. They are too stuck to, one, their own bias. And secondly, there is no such thing as investigative reporting anymore. They just accept what appears to be. So when Mitt Romney, who belongs, you know, all the way across the United States in Massachusetts, a rich boy, good-looking man, 
Wonder why he wasn't the Republican candidate last go-around? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is, whoever the shadow government that Ollie North identified, these insiders that aren't Republicans or Democrats that control the government, the currency, not only of the United States, but uh, of the world, they decided they wanted a black president. And so, with all of the people standing tall for the Republican Party in 2008, the worst of the lot emerges. Everybody just sort of fell away like uh, their plug was pulled. And uh, we're left with McCain, the only person who couldn't beat Obama. And so uh, you look and you wonder about the 2012 election. Obama has said he's going to collect a billion dollars. He's going to get it from somewhere. That makes Mitt Romney's $10.5 million look like chump change. But yet, you can't scoff at $10.5 million in a one-stop, except if you knew the background. Now, when I gave you this whole story about uh, the extermination order from Governor Boggs, and when I mentioned to you about all the LDS under Brigham Young coming to the West and settling the Great Salt Lake Valley. Then they spread out. Where did they go? Well, they went into Idaho and into Wyoming and into Arizona and Nevada. Yeah, so they, they, they spread this way. And what do we have today? Well, let me give you an example. The stake is the basic formation, that's what it's called, S-T-A-K-E, of the Mormon Church. Now, this, this is because I actually uh, looked this up and talked to people in Dallas uh, here, oh, it's been 10 years ago, but it's still a good example. Dallas, Texas has two stakes of Mormons. Las Vegas has 17 stakes of Mormons. Now, each stake is made up of about more than one, two, three, four wards. Each ward has about 400 people. So you can tell the ratio. Now, Arizona is the same way. And Utah, of course, is the beehive state. And so in a place where the highest unemployment in a place that is most difficult. They say that Las Vegas is shrinking, but you see the Mormons are well dug in. The Mormons are self-protecting. If you own a business and a young Mormon comes, he's more likely to be hired. The federal government want Mormons. Now, why is it that the CIA and the FBI and the Secret Service prefer Mormons? Well, 
they have uh, this uh, word of wisdom which says no smoking. I mean, it sounds like uh, the Muslims. No drinking. You can't even drink tea. You can't drink Coca-Cola. You can drink hot chocolate. I never figured that out because hot chocolate, you know, has as much caffeine. <laughs> and you can't drink coffee. And you can't cuss. Well, not supposed to. And uh, you can't carouse. Not supposed to. And you're supposed to turn over your 1040 form uh, during the PPI. The PPI is a uh, priesthood uh, sit down where you're interrogated by uh, your stake president or by your bishop. And uh, you go over the 1040 form to make sure the question, one of the questions you're asked of whether you can go into the temple or not, you have to get a temple recommend, is are you tithing honestly? That means one-tenth of your income is going to the church. They will also ask, are you filing your 1040 form properly? And a stake president in Lewiston, Idaho, made the statement. It's one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard in my life. But he says your 1040 form is your ticket into heaven. Now, you see, I don't believe that. But who knows uh, what was, you know, the, uh, the IRS has a building and a headquarters up just up uh, the road from the Salt Lake Temple, and the LDS Church owns many things like Pepsi Cola, huge ranches. They're in the uh, large scale cattle business. I think maybe the LDS Church owns more property and more cows than the King Ranch in Texas. I'm being serious. Anyway, they want to please the IRS, and so they have agreed to cooperate with the IRS in making sure that uh, all of theirs, and there's and now there's about 10 million Mormons uh, on the books worldwide. Well, Mitt Romney is a Mormon. And so when he comes to Las Vegas, there is a Mormon prophecy that was made at the time of Joseph Smith and has been passed down through the generation since 1845. And that is a white horse prophecy. And the white horse prophecy is that in the end of ages, the Constitution will be hanging virtually by a thread. And there will be leadership on a great white horse that will come in, meaning a Mormon 
that will come in and be divinely put into the White House to lead America, to strengthen the Constitution, and to assure life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so if you have a Mormon running for president, and he stops in a place like lost wages, do you not think there's going to be a whole lot of people show up for this? Because we're talking, hey, great white prof, great white horse prophecy. And so they want to be a part of it. And so Mormons, I believe, are, generally speaking, individually, if you were to examine them uh, and be part of the private priesthood uh, uh, interrogation, uh, you would find that they generally have more than the -the run-of-the-mill citizen. So they are very willing to share it to get their great white horse president in to save the Constitution. That's why Mitt Romney can come to Las Vegas and pick up $10.5 million. But he can't go to Kansas or probably Texas or Mississippi or Illinois. He won't go to New Hampshire or Virginia or Florida and find the same generosity. He's going to do that in the Mormon states, which are central to the desert mountains in the great southwest. All right, maybe now you know part of a secret. But you see, Romney did it at a good time because he's getting a lot of press for it. All right, stay with American Voice Radio's Freedom Call. You're going to learn a lot of things that uh, the network news probably never heard of because they don't know the meaning of investigating and uh, reporting truth. All right, stay with American Voice Radio. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the freeze-dry guy today at freeze-dry-guy at lancet.com. That's freeze-dry-guy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Boys Radio.
cell phone for business or staying in touch with family. Your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one four. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. With you, and it isn't my intention to uh, you know poke at the network, make fools of them. But uh, if you go back in time, uh, we used to have a system of investigative reporting. Now, remember Deep Throat, <laughs> and you know it. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but the Army didn't have a war of me to fight, and I think they were a little concerned. Now, as long as uh, Westmoreland, who was a paratrooper, uh, he led the 187 Regimental Combat Team in two combat jumps in Korea. He was commanding general of the 101st Airborne Division at Fort Campbell, uh, Kentucky, uh, and he loved elite forces. And so I was on the Army general staff. As uh, a little chief, I was the chief of, of special activities, uh, which uh, meant everything from uh, A to Z. 
Point is, is that when Westmoreland retired and Abrams came in, Abrams was clank, clank, I'm a tank, Abe. He wanted everybody to look the same on the drill field, and he didn't like anybody being special, especially people that were spies, masters of dirty tricks, uh, dressed in camouflage, taught all manner of unsavory ways of beating the enemy. Uh, And uh, he told me so. (laughs) I was lined up uh, when Abrams came in. He flew in uh, from the, flew him out of Vietnam, all top secret, dressed him up in a, uh, in a sort of a Hawaii flowery shirt and put him through uh, the Philippines and Hawaii and then into Washington, D.C. And uh, he arrived. It was late at night. Didn't make any difference. His general staff was all lined up in uh, his office. And as Abe came in, he had a baseball hat on. Uh, he had that flowery shirt. He had a cigar that stunk, which he smoked all the time. And uh, he uh, was in Bermuda shorts. And he comes stomping through the office uh, at a fast pace, just looking up at people. Uh, Abe wasn't very tall. And uh, he got to me, and I was standing rigidly at attention. And in those days, uh, our acceptable uniform uh, for midnight in the Pentagon uh, was a TW shirt and trousers in the summertime. And uh, I was standing here with all my regalia, all the pins and buttons and badges and tabs and medals, uh, that uh, are typically worn uh, and won by special forces soldiers. And he just looked at me, and he said, I have nothing to say to you. Well, that speaks of volumes. And so as he went on down the line, the wonderful man at my side, Winnet Seidel, isn't that a great southern name? Winnet Seidel was a major general, just wonderful old man. And he bent down and said, Bo, I guess it's time for you to go to school again. (laughs) He said, pick out a school that's not uh, too far from the Pentagon. We may need you from time to time. And so I um, went over to the American University, and I got into the master's program, the only master's program that they had room, because you just don't come in in midterm. Uh, and uh, they have a lot of empty seats. Their master's uh, programs are carefully weeded and vetted and put together. And so the only one open was a master's degree uh, in communication, which meant uh, journalism. Oh, I couldn't even, I was a hunting pecker on a typewriter. But uh, the American University said, uh, the director of communication said, Bo, we like having you around because the whole school was loaded with liberalists and all the Arabs and all the Jews wanted their children to be going to the American university chartered by the U.S. Congress, the only official government U- U- university. Oh, just to sit there in the uh, men's room 
you could read volumes, not of smutty graffiti like you find normally, but you'd have the Arab point of view of the Palestinians that were run out of their own homeland by Jews uh, when Israel was formed. Then you'd have the Israeli side on the other wall. I mean, you could have good bowel practice and get an education at the same time. And so uh, it was the time of Watergate. I graduated uh, the second time around because I didn't tell the Pentagon that I'd gotten through the master's program on the first go-around. So they said, Bo, you've got to give us uh, eight months to program you. Hmm. So I went, I said, what are you telling me? I don't have a job. And they said, can you go back to school? So I went back to school and got a master's also in broadcast journalism. It hadn't helped me. Uh, actually, I don't know whether uh, Frank, an American voice radio, would have uh, asked me to be on had I not had a, a double master's in communications, uh, one in uh, print journalism, the other in electronic uh, media. But the girls were a lot prettier uh, in the electronic media. Boy, all the girls in the print journalism look like toads from the short forest. That's right. And all of the professors in the print journalism, they look like Abrams. And uh, in the uh, electronic media in film and television and the radio, they all were gay. Uh, this was before that word uh, had been mistranslated. But it was a joy. I didn't realize that. I thought I was just in the black hole uh, with all the print journalist uh, candidates uh, during the first go-around. I didn't realize that they had to another school where everybody was having fun. So I enjoyed the second go-around. Anyway, it was Watergate time. And we had deep throat. And we got rid of Nixon for crying out loud. Forced out of office. Now that's investigative reporting. Well, as a, uh, an intelligence officer, uh, as a as a person in combat who is supposed to develop uh, military intelligence, even though it sounds like, uh, you know, it's an, an opposites in words, military and intelligence uh, shouldn't go together. Uh, but to get information, uh, and uh, I could be uh, however creative that I wanted to be, in doing this. So uh, I learned you have to dig a lot. And so uh, if you listen to American Voice Radio, I have a feeling that Frank uh, checks and does uh, a lot of encouragement of the other talk show hosts on uh, American Voice to make sure that what they're telling you is factually correct. Uh, looked at, investigated, and then reported without too much bias. 
Now I can't help it. When there is a buffoon in office, when you've got Bill Clinton, who is a retrobrate, a, a doper, a womanizer, a draft dodger, what else did that general call him that had to resign from the Air Force? Anyway, he was accurate. So uh, when I take a look, Mitt Romney uh, is one of Obama's favorites because, you see, if he can get, if Obama, Obama probably was responsible for a million dollars of the 10.5 that Mitt picked up in lost wages, and he wasn't shooting craps either or playing the slot machines. He is a Mormon. So all the Mormons are willing to, and they are encouraged by the church. Hey, when uh, there were other people running for president, uh, they too were encouraged by the church, vote for this person, uh, give money to support this person. And uh, they were mad at H. Ross Perot in 1992 because Daddy Bush was running against Bill Clinton. And the Mormons knew that Bill Clinton was all the things that he confirmed after he got into office. So they wanted Daddy Bush, uh, who had, of course, been vice president uh, for uh, the person everyone voted twice for, Ronald Reagan. Well, H. Ross Perot was running, and he pulled the conservatives away from Bush, which meant that the Democrat, the buffoon, won. Well, Obama hasn't got anybody to run against him in the Democratic Party. He's going to be uh, the single, and so he can brag about, I'm going to uh, get a billion dollars. He'll buy the presidency. Yeah, you can buy the presidency for a billion dollars, he figures, in 2012. Well, you have to have a little strategizing. So who would you want to run against you? Well, the perfect... And I'm not saying that Mitt Romney uh, hadn't been a good uh, governor. And if you are a governor, you have, I mean, look at uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. See, now he just never figured that he could get away. He's got too much of an accent to get away with saying, I was born uh, in uh, Natchitoches, Texas. And get away with it, like Obama has said, uh, I was born in Hawaii. But when you look at uh, at the governor, hey, he has run uh, what is the world's sixth largest uh, economy, the Republic of California. Now, they're deep, deep, deep in debt. And I think California made an awful decision. Here they had the lady who had started eBay. She could have bought the California debt as just a public service. 
But instead, who do they elect? A Democrat who had been in there before didn't do anything the first time he was governor. Why should he do anything now? All right, let's get back to the strategizing. Obama loves Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is tall. He's handsome. He's rich. He is from probably one of the most liberal states in the United States, Massachusetts. But he's a Mormon, which means that he never touches himself when he goes to the bathroom. It means that he you know, does everything right. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. He doesn't womanize and all the rest of these good things. So, do you think that Mitt Romney can win the presidency over Obama? Well, the fact is that you've seen how the Republicans have been their own worst enemy. I mean, they have shot themselves in the foot. And I, I got to think it's on purpose that uh, there isn't a dime's worth of difference between a Republican and a Democrat. And so I believe that Mitt Romney uh, may be groomed and may be dressed out. He is the front runner. He raised $10.5 billion. All the networks are raving about him. Why? Because as a Mormon, you have a so-called 10 million in the world religion. Friends, how many Baptists do you have? How many Presbyterians? How many Methodists? How many Catholics? Keep going. Many, many more than you do LDS, Latter-day Saints or Mormons. And so... Do you believe that the evangelical right, the Christian right, which is the driver? Now, do you remember when Daddy Bush was uh, running for president? I actually uh, got excited when uh, I heard that Pat Robertson was going to be a candidate. I thought, yeah. I can see a preacher uh, being a candidate for president of the United States. Now, Huckabee, you know, he is a uh, a former uh, pastor, governor of Arkansas. And so I could you could say, well, he, at least he, he has God. At least he knows that he has a higher authority to which to be accountable and to go to. And hey, as a combat special ops commander, I was on my knees a lot. And it wasn't just getting down uh, to be out of enemy fire. I knew that I had a higher authority. And in Westmoreland's book, which is entitled A Soldier Reports, there is a chapter called The American Soldier. And it starts out, a story about Bo Greitz. And he puts a couple of stories in there to illustrate the American soldier. I was greatly honored. One of them is an impossible mission gone wrong. 
where we cannot possibly survive. He said, Bo Bright's trade. Now, the Pentagon advised me not to let Westmoreland uh, have permission to put in there about me praying or about me killing uh, an enemy using karate techniques because, they said, Bo, you're going to get everybody uh, in the world after you. You're going to be like Billy the Kid. They're going to want to see, you know, if they can take you on. And I said, you let the chief of staff put anything he wants to in his book. That's I knew Westmoreland having served under him uh, as a special operations uh, commander in combat and also on the Army General Staff. And so uh, I knew him as a man. And uh, the fact is that as I look for a presidential candidate, now I know enough about the Mormons that what the evangelical, the Christian right say about the Mormons not worshiping the same God and uh, not uh, having the same Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ, that the Mormons have a different one. This is not true. The point is, however, that I don't believe with the Republican dependency upon the Christian right that all of these uh, preachers and everybody that got behind Pat Robertson before, then Pat Robertson uh, japped us all. Pat Robertson and the very end where we thought he was going to be a candidate for president of the United States turned and said, I give all my support to George Bush. Holy cow. There were a lot of us that didn't appreciate George Bush at all as director of CIA, a guy who knew Manuel Antonio Noriega, George Bush, this is a fact. You can find this recorded in the news. In 1976, when George Bush was director of Central Intelligence, he was paying Manuel Antonio Noriega, the drug runner from Panama, $250,000 as a retainer for the CIA. When I was going to kill Noriega as the Special Forces Commander, of Latin America, the intelligence officer, the chief of intelligence, flew to Panama, came to Fort Gulick, which is the special forces side next to nowhere, met me at Task Force Hawk, which actually had one of these contraptions uh, like uh, they used to have on the, the, the I spy. Uh, program where you have a bubble that nobody can intercept uh, your your language, your words, and he told me to keep my hands off of Manuel Antonio Noriega. He had quote immense value at the highest levels. Now you know and I know that's crap. And so knowing things like that, 
Uh, I would have voted uh, for Pat Robertson where I wouldn't have voted for Daddy Bush. At any rate, uh, Mitt Romney has, and God bless him, I think God will be the judge of us all. But I don't believe Mitt Romney, in the end, even with this white horse prophecy, He'll get the Mormon vote, that's no question, and he'll get millions of dollars out of the Mormons. But I don't think that the Christian right will support him. And, you know, you may say, well, boy, they say they will. When it comes and you're by yourself in that little booth, what will you do? So I think that uh, Obama is going to be happy about having Mitt Romney as a leader. Now, if Ron Paul was going to be the Republican candidate against him, against Obama, I think Obama would uh, do almost anything he could to buy, cheat, lie, steal, misrepresent, because he is scared to death like the rest of these one-worlders, about a man like Ron Paul, who knows how to balance the budget of the United States, how to save the Constitution, how to put America firmly back in as it should be, the leading country of everything good, like we used to be before we killed our president. By the way, talking about killing, before we run out of time, the number of dead American soldiers, men and women, is 6,033 today. It goes up just like the debt every day. Now in Afghanistan, it is 1,581 as of today. And in Iraq, it's 4,452. Gold is $1,495 today. Silver is selling for $35.11. Some people say the way out of this economic suck hole is to sell our gold reserves while the gold is so high. Friends, we're going to have to do something. You've listened to Freedom Call. You basically know all the options. You need to get a hold of your representative, your two senators and your representative. And you need to tell them what you feel in your guts. We need to get out of Afghanistan because of 8 million 400 or 8,400 tons of OPH and heroin. Get out of there. We need to stop this foreign aid. A lot of people say we shouldn't be giving foreign aid to Pakistan because they helped, aided, and abetted Osama bin Laden, and that's the truth. Anyway, you get in touch with them. This is midweek. They need your help before they make decisions that may doom 
the USA. All right, uh, foreseeing uh, thing that I don't know about right now, I'll be with you tomorrow, and we'll talk in detail about what we ought to do. Stay with American Voice Radio. Yesterday, but only three when the green beret trained to live off nature's land trained in combat hand to hand men who fight by night and day courage takes from the green beret silver These are men, America's best. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
from animals other than those that were listed on the label, including the presence of pork in the hot dogs that were supposedly pork-free. <clears throat> they also found, and you better sit down for this one, that 2% of all the hot dog products tested contain traces of human DNA. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not making this stuff up. So these guys, Clear Food, they tested uh, about over well over 300 separate hot dog samples from 75 different brands that were both meat-based and meat-free. And the problems that were detected fell into two separate categories. One was label inaccuracy, and the other was hygiene problems. So in the category of label inaccuracy, meat was regularly found in products that were not supposed to contain that particular type of meat, either because the product was supposedly vegetarian or simply because the ingredient label did not list all the meats included. They found unlisted lamb in samples. They found unlisted turkey in samples. They found unlisted beef in samples. And they found unlisted chicken in samples. <clears throat> the worst was they found unlabeled pork in about 10 samples, which accounted for about 3% of all the samples tested. And this included products labeled vegetarian or even pork-free. See, pork substitution was an issue in products across the, the price spectrum being sold in a, a wide variety of retailers. But how, according, I mean, how can pork substitution be particularly troublesome? because so many people avoid pork for religious reasons or whatever, right? So you gotta have a little bit of faith, but the report noted that all the certified kosher products tested, now this is the certified kosher, they were 100% pork free, so that people who wanted to avoid pork, they should buy from reputable kosher or various religious brands, rather than simply relying on food labels. Then there was another class of an unlabeled ingredient that um, would really um, tick a lot of people off, and that's human DNA, which indicates somehow that human tissue got introduced into the hot, hot dog at some point in the manufacturing process. And 2% of all those samples that were tested contained DNA, and two-thirds of those were supposedly the vegetarian brands. <clears throat> so the presence of DNA, human DNA, does not necessarily mean that the dogs contain human meat, right? It, it, it could, could be likely that it came from hair, or saliva, which is a really nice way of saying spit, or skin cells, or some kind
ton of source likely to slough off the body of workers. So while the DNA does not indicate that consumers are becoming unintentional cannibals, it's basically a red flag that proper hygiene practices are probably not being followed in the manufacturing of the adulterated products. And other problems that were found with the food labels included misstating nutritional information. So, for example, the labels of some vegetarian hot dogs overstated the food's protein content by up to two and a half times. So Clear Foods, this company, noted that there was no correlation between the price of a product and how likely it was to contain unlabeled meats or human DNA. Then there was a food safety specialist who was not involved in the study, right, that said that the increasing availability of genetic testing technology could create new pressure on food companies to accurately report the content of their products. But don't you think that at times food adulteration issues are looked at as not a food safety concern, but still it's disturbing to think that you could be eating something that you're not aware of? So companies should become very careful about how they label and they may want to do a lot more testing on their suppliers. If you want to know more, if you want to find out more, you go to www.clearfood.com, and you can look up food reports. <clears throat> but this is the trouble that is facing so many people today. Not only that, but with the proliferation of drugs, and, and prescription drugs and heavy metals, the people in this country are actually becoming a lot more aggressive and a lot more violent. Now, is that a misperception that's caused by slanted news coverage, by the lamestream media, or is it reality? Now, we know that we're being exposed to far more neurotoxins than ever before and in much higher doses and in the form of in the, dust, the, the avalanche of industrial chemicals that surround us and permeate every part of the environment. And while these many different toxins are known to produce neurobehavioral effects, there's two categories in particular that really are worthy of further consideration. And those would be the psychiatric drugs and the heavy metals. Well, you got heavy metals like lead and mercury. Well, we know that they can cause brain damage and they can cause behavioral disturbances. The psychiatric drugs, they're designed to alter the function of the brain as well. And if they disrupt your brain's chemical equilibrium, it means they're working the way they're supposed to. So according 
to the Centers for Deceit, Control, and Procrastination. Antidepressants are among the top three most prescribed classes of therapeutic drugs in non-hospital settings. And e- but yet, even people who know about the drug's common metabolic and sexual side effects they're not even aware that they can regularly produce psychiatric problems as, as well as anxiety, irritability, agitation, and all that garbage. And most of the antidepressants can actually increase the risk of suicidal thoughts and behaviors. <clears throat> so there's this recent study in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry that found that more than 67% of those that were taking antidepressants had never met the criteria for major depressive disorder. And that's the condition that the drugs are supposedly meant to treat. But yet, the person taking the drug never met that criteria. Then, in addition to that, 38% of those that were taking the SSRI class of antidepressants had never been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, or even social phobia. So the individuals, many individuals who are prescribed and use antidepressants may not have met the criteria for the mental disorders for taking these pills. So what, what they found in the study was that the antidepressants that were commonly used were used in absence of the clear evidence-based indication. <clears throat> so while the antidepressants might be the most commonly prescribed of the, of the of the psych drugs, they're not the only ones with mood and behavior altering side effects. You got the uh, a drug that's out there for anti-smoking. It's called Shantix. Well, that drug alone can cause changes in behavior, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, suicidal thoughts, and that's all come from the company that makes it. So as with antidepressants, any drug that's designed to modify the brain's chemistry will change a person's behavior even for the worse. So there's this mental health watchdog group out there called Citizens Commission on Human Rights. And according to those guys, despite 22 international drug regulatory warnings on psych drugs, citing the effects of mania, hostility, violence, and homicide, homicidal tendencies, and dozens of high-profile shootings and killings that are tied into the, the psych drugs, there's yet to be a federal investigation on the link between the psych drugs and these acts of ridiculous, stupid, senseless violence. So what do you do? 
So then there's this other category of brain-damaging drugs that nearly all people are exposed to, and that's heavy metals. And because the heavy metals are so widely used in industrial manufacturing, they've permeated the environment, and now they're, find in every, they're found in everything from air pollution and, and soil to household products, such as electronics and even sewage, which is spread on food crops as fertilizer. I mean, it's ridiculous. So among the metals known to damage the brain and produce cognitive and behavioral behaviors are lead, mercury, aluminum, and manganese. So even people that are seeking to protect themselves from radioactivity exposure will inadvertently dose themselves with heavy metals. Now, you've heard about zeolites. Zeolites have been marketed to their ability to bind to radioactive isotopes and flush them out of the body. Wonderful. All the zeolites contain high levels of lead and aluminum. And then when they're ground up, the toxins become even more bioavailable. So for people that are taking zeolites, you're taking in lead and aluminum more and more and more and more. And why? Because you want to detox. So, okay, so zeolite, is found in supermarkets, it's found in drugstores, it's found all over the place. All you have to do is switch to organic sulfur crystals, and it does the same thing. It gets rid of the radioactivity, and it doesn't screw up your brain. I mean, do you see what's happening? With, you know, it's like no matter where you go, no matter what you do, all these chemicals, all these drugs, all these toxins are, are screwing up people right and left. There, there was this story about this, uh, oh, this kid. I can't remember where he lived. He's a 19-year-old kid. <clears throat> and he, he said that he was getting to the point where he was basically starving himself to death because the food he was eating made him hurt and feel sick. And that he was reporting allergic to just about everything. And his body was rejecting everything. So back in 2013, he stopped eating solid foods altogether and received his nutrients through a feeding tube. Seriously. The kids from Utah. So anyway, so after going to these dozens of medical specialists, the the 19-year-old and his family, they're still clueless. They, they've gone to see so many doctors who don't have a clue. They would just stroke their heads and say, we don't know what to do. So people wind up, they don't believe you. The teachers, the doctors, the neighbors. They just think you're crazy, that you're making it up. But as a parent, you want to fix it. And you want to take it. You just want to find the answers. So any, anyway, this 19-year-old kid, through the years, has grown allergic to peanuts and perfumes and paints and latex and car fumes and filters and freshly cut grass. And basically, the kid is allergic to just about everything except 
accept the regimen of pharmaceutical pills and feeding tube formula that now costs the family $7,000 a month. So even after taking one bite of ordinary food, this kid complains of extreme headaches, stomach convulsions, bone and muscle pain, and brain fog. So from the outside looking in, his rejection of food looks like something of an eating disorder. The kid's 19 years old. He's six foot two, and at one point in time, he dropped down to 155 pounds. And the family felt that he was starving himself to death, that he was literally dying. You understand? I mean, if you, the kid would say, if I inhale perfumes, I get brain fog, which is the equivalent of not sleeping for two or three days and not being able to sleep. If he ate tomatoes, he would get a high temperature. And the kid is being injected twice a month with, with uh, Zolair, which is a cell, cell stabilizer, stabilizer that helps his allergies and helps him get out of bed and not go down with anaphylactic shock. So one way of looking at the situation is to realize that this kid's body and his sensitivities are not the problem and never was the problem. His body is simply recognizing all the toxic substances that are in the Western world, and his body is probably responding intelligently by rejecting all of them. But the Western world is so screwed up and in inundated with toxic chemicals from the mass-sprayed agrochemicals that destroy the balance of gut bacteria in the humans to the unbelievable amounts of prescription drugs that get flushed down the toilet to all the GMOs that are sprayed on crops that blow all over the place by the wind by the body care chemicals, the plasticizers, the synthetics like Teflon that are constantly leaching the hormone-disrupting chemistry into the land, the food, the water, where they are absorbed into the human being and the entire food chain, which disrupts the natural biological processes. So another way of looking at the situation is to recognize the enormous amount of chemicals that are injected into the Western civilization and how those adjuvants in the vaccines may actually be turning little kids' bodies against themselves and their natural environment. The aluminum-based adjuvants in vaccines are used to inflame the immune system of a little kid forcing their body to respond to weakened virus strains. And dozens of doses of this kind of artificial stimulation are applied to a little kid's underdeveloped immune system. And yet the scientists are still trying to figure out how this inflammation may trigger allergic responses in children. You understand what the hell is going on here? 
the people are poisoning us. They're killing us. They and then they say, well, we don't we don't understand how this is happening. So the only thing you know that that we can suggest is uh, <clears throat> maybe you should take a look at your food. <laughs> so what's happened is that yeah, okay, we'll take a look at our food. And so many people are so focused on counting calories that they basically bypass what's really destroying the function of the glands and the balance of the hormones. It's so easy to blame the fat in food for weight gain, but it's the food's chemicals that are destroying a person's metabolism, causing them to gain weight. So you got nutrition labels that focus on calories, which distracts the consumer from the long list of artificial sweeteners, preservatives, color, flavor enhancers that are often the source of their problem. There's no indication on the label of the pesticide or the heavy metal concentration on that food or the amount of GMOs that were used. And what this does is leave the doctor and the consumer with nothing to blame for health problems but the fat content and the calories. So most people wind up going on low-fat diets, but they don't realize that many fatty foods can be healthy for the body and the mind. So some of the fat can actually be health foods promoting heart health and helping one lose weight. Coconut oil avocados, hemp seeds, raw whole milk. If you can find raw whole milk, which I don't think you ever will unless you own a cow, and unless you're only feeding your cow regular grass, then you might benefit. And various nuts and seeds are good examples of healthy fat sources. For 32 years, the National Health Service in Great Britain, their guidelines have warned consumers not to eat full-fat milk or butter or high-fat foods. And when a recent study from Harvard University set out to put that theory to the test, they found interesting results for the 68,000 people that were in their study. And their research compile information from 53 previous studies, which was published in some journal, Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. It turns out that the low-fat diet had no correlation to weight loss or good health at all. The low-fat diets are nothing more than a corporate government lie repeated over and over and over until it is believed. And the study showed that low-carbohydrate diets were more effective than low-fat diets in 12 months. And participants on a low-carb diet lost two and a half pounds more on average. Now, when they say low carbs, they're talking about refined carbs which is the worst of the worst. If you're not eating whole grains, if you're not eating whole grain seeds like buckwheat and quinoa, and you're just eating white rice, you, you, you know, you just go bang your head against the wall. 
So what the Harvard researchers agreed on, that diet should not focus on fat or even carbohydrates and protein. They should focus on portion sizes and the chemicals that are in the processed foods. So they found that the best way to lose weight in a healthy manager in a healthy manner is to manage stress and go on a more plant-based diet, which incorporates more coconut oil and olive oil or avocados and nuts into the diet. And the diet also favors fruit and vegetables and whole grains. And you've got to avoid the nasty fat foods like the deep-fried foods, the cakes, the biscuits, the sugar-sweetened beverages. So the Harvard guys also pointed out that stressful environments, okay, can cause discomfort. We know that. We, we know that. Stress causes you to eat more and study and stuff like that. But why do you get stressed out? Why? Because you're not getting sense gratification. Because you think that's the most important thing that you have to have in the world. So managing stress might be, you know, as simple as performing deep breathing exercises throughout the workday or incorporating walks through nature during lunch breaks or meditation and prayer in the morning, putting everything in perspective. But the point is, what you have to understand, first and foremost, is that you are not your body. Uh-oh, what? What do you mean? What do you mean? There's, the body is a vehicle that is driven by the soul. Everybody, whether it's a little fly, whether it's an elephant, has the soul in that body. The soul is spiritual. The body is temporary and material. Okay? So we go through life, and I'll get to that in a minute. You have to understand, it's very important, that the soul transmigrates, which means it goes from body to body upon life and death. So you have a body in a flea body, and that flea body dies, and maybe in the next birth, the fly becomes, the soul becomes a squirrel or whatever. So they go through various bodies, and the ultimate form is the human form. Now, all forms below the human form are governed by the laws of nature, and they bear no karma, because everything they do is like I said, governed by the laws of nature, governed by the particular rules set forth for that body. The ultimate goal is to, when you get to the human form, is you have to understand that the body is a vehicle with various labels. It can be a tall label or a short label or a fat label or a thin label or a black hair or a brown hair or a red hair label or a blonde hair label. There can be blue eye labels. There can be brown eye labels. There can be black eye labels. It's all various, okay? The soul is spiritual and eternal. The body is temporary, 
Okay, we know that. So people come into the world and they're in a human body and they think, wow, here I am now. I, the best thing I can do is I can enjoy and try to you know, gratify my senses. So they engage usually in four distinct ways to do that. They'll get intoxicated. They'll gamble. They'll have unlimited sex. They'll go out and they'll eat flesh-based diet. In spiritual life, when you undertake a spiritual path, you come in contact with a bona fide spiritual teacher. In order to become his disciple, he will ask you to abide by four regulated principles. They are no intoxication, no gambling, no sex outside of marriage, and and no eating any flesh food or eggs. And you say, what? Some people will say, why? Gambling causes stress. It's okay to win, but when you lose and you ain't got the money to pay your debt, you either run and hide or you kill yourself. Sex out of marriage, the purpose of marriage is the proliferation of the race. Sex out of marriage is you get your rocks off because you think it's going to make you happy. But once it's over, hey, who's next? I mean, seriously. And then you have intoxication where you either get stoned or you get drunk just so you can avoid reality. And then when it comes to flesh-based foods and it comes to eggs and things like that, you wonder why. Well, that just creates stress on the body, creates degenerative diseases, it puts limitations all over the place. But the point is, in a scripture that is thousands of years old, that goes way before the old of the New Testament, God says that if one offers him with love and devotion, a leaf, a flower, and water, he will accept it. He doesn't say to offer him flesh foods. He doesn't say to offer him the chicken's period, which is what an egg is. He doesn't do that. He just says, offer me plant-based foods. Now, why? Because otherwise, you are part of the problem of the lower species in the animal form, the souls in the animal form, of making it out of those bodies to go up and eventually get to the human form. And trust me, that is karma. A reaction has a reaction. And what it does is it causes you in your next life, of course, you're not going to even know it, And you may not even believe it, but it causes you, when you leave the human form, to take birth again in a lower form and have to go the process, go through the process one more time until you finally reach the human form to hopefully you make the choice 
away from the frustration of sense gratification and more towards following God's instructions and then trying to develop your loving relationship with him. You still have to work and you still have to eat and you still go out and you play ball and you still get married and you do all kinds of stuff, but you're not following the dictates of your senses. You're following the instructions set forth by God. Now, I remember talking with some people years ago, and I told them the thing about offering food and stuff. And they were meat and potato people, but what they did was they offered the salads, the french fries, the peas, the carrots, whatever, all the plant-based foods they offered to God, but they still ate the meat. And then one day, the guy realized that why am I eating two kinds of food? Why can't I just offer everything to him? And gradually, his consumption of flesh foods and eggs disappeared because he was having to pick and choose what he could offer and what he couldn't offer. And as a result, his spiritual strength increased Simply by offering his food to God, you were turning in that direction. Then he started reading more, and he started reading more about God's instructions. And he's still on the planet, so I I can't say where he went when he left his body, because I have, first of all, I have no idea where someone's going to go. There's only one person who knows where that soul is going to go, and that's God who resides in the heart of every living entity. So you probably don't know that. So it would be really nice if you went into your heart and you tried to communicate with him and you tried to ask for his instruction and you tried to find out what can you do? How can I, how can I become closer? And it's very simple. Whatever you pick up, Old Testament, New Testament, find out what he likes. Find out what he would like you to do. If you can conduct yourself in a way that would be totally pleasing to him, and you can think about him at the time you leave your body, you ain't coming back into the material world anymore. You go back into the spiritual world. Okay, so moving on here. He says with a straight face, as if I do have a straight face. So you, you decide to get your health under control. And you consider an exercise and a weight management routine. And you look at the easy fixes and you look at the Miracle Snake Oil products and you look at the other products that lead unsuspecting people down the unhealthy path. So going on a diet is the choice of many. But what do you really gain from going on a diet? So the dictionary defines a diet in a few different ways. One definition is habitual nourishment. Another definition is a regimen of eating and drinking sparingly so as to reduce one's weight. Take a look at those. Habitual nourishment or a regimen of eating and drinking sparingly 
to reduce one's weight. Well, the definition that you choose to accept makes all the difference. Is your diet a lifestyle choice of habitual nourishment or a temporary restriction to reduce weight? Now, your doctor, your nutritionist, maybe they prescribed a particular diet for you in order to keep you away from a Big Mac heart attack. Well, okay, you should take the advice of your physician very seriously. If you're under strict orders from your doctor to eat this or don't eat that, well, maybe you should do it. But what you eat that is your habitual habitual nourishment is an essential part of your healthy lifestyle. On the other side of the dieting coin are those temporary restrictions that we call going on a diet. Maybe you've seen a home diet plan on TV or in an ad or a magazine and decided, what the hell, I'm going to give it a try. Well, unfortunately, even though those diets can leave you feeling good at first, they will ultimately let you down in the end because maintaining a healthy and happy you is unlikely to be the result of a 90-day workout plan or a three-month diet. It's a lifestyle. It's a deep-down soul-pending change in your personal life that you commit to for the rest of your life. There was a study that was done from the University of California, Berkeley, in 2005, that found that 95% of all dieters regained their weight within one to five years. 95%. Why in the world would you waste your time? Diets can be unsafe, and they can create an illusion of control that they don't fix your life, and you can fall into the dangers of the diet yo-yo. So let's shake up your diet perception and see which definition of diet you'll choose to follow. So if you quit your diet, it'll increase your mental health because quitting and mental health go together. When you make a conscious choice to let go of your destructive behaviors and live healthier forever, you're taking a mental stand. Remember I mentioned the University of California, Berkeley, right? So you have to defeat the dieting mindset, which is the perception that your body is unsatisfactory. So instead of criticizing every detail, develop healthy habits. Be happy with who you are, knowing that you're living a healthier lifestyle. Research has found that dieting to be a $40, a $40 million, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again, a $40 billion a year business in America, which is more than the government spends on education annually. And many people will go on a diet before the summer or before going on a Caribbean vacation. So there was this study that was published in 2007 that discussed how dining with a temporary fixed mentality can cause weight gain and health issues. And the study found that there's little support
for the notion that diets lead to lasting weight loss or health benefits. So stop expecting a world that only exists in magazines, movies, and TV series. There's no perfect. So you can stop setting ridiculous standards and be yourself. Don't you understand? So there was research published in the Archives of Internal Medicine back in 1994 that found that the regular cycle of gaining and losing and regaining weight, which is the yo-yo diet, plays a role in coronary heart disease and death. And the study said that there are stronger and more consistent links between body weight, variability, and negative health outcomes, particularly all-cause mortality and mortality from coronary heart disease. So is your body telling you that it's not getting what it needs? Because diets can make you feel angry and emotionally out of sorts. So if you jump on the chance to diet and go wild with it for two weeks and then begin to slowly trickle off, there might be a psychological reason behind that. So don't hide behind a diet. Face the truth. Address the deeper issues in your life. Diets are restrictive in nature. In most diets, your focus is not on the wonderful nutrient-rich food you can be consuming, but on the food you're not allowed to eat. Seriously. Nothing and no one is perfect. And diets are not a mentally or a physically healthy way to feed those notions. And then there was this recent research that was presented at the annual meeting of the Society for the Study of Ingestive Behavior, and found that the younger women that the younger women diet, the higher risk they put on themselves later in life. And the research said the younger woman was when she started her first diet, the more likely she was to use extreme weight control behaviors like self inducing vomiting, misuse alcohol, and be overweight or obese by the time she reached her thirties. Seriously, dieting can intensify self-esteem issues, and quitting your diet might give you fuller, healthier hair, but dieting has been found to cause hair loss and thinning. Diets often require adding more hard work than really long days filled with all kinds of work at home and at work. Then there was another study in 2010 from Psychosomatic Medicine that said dieting may be deleterious to psychological well-being and biological functioning and changes in clinical recommendations may be in order. What the hell does that mean? The study looked at how low-calorie dieting increases cortisol levels and increased cortisol levels can decrease bone and muscle health and decrease immune infection function and impair digestion as well as cause weight gain. So if you quit your diet, that can support a healthy metabolism because a lot of diets will wreak havoc on your metabolism, which leads to increased weight gains after your diet or your cleanse is finished. And you can also become dehydrated. 
And you can also have an electrolyte imbalance. So if you're out there and you're twitching and you have convulsions or you have severe muscle spasms, that could be part of the problem. So you have to release yourself from the chains of punishment and guilt and just live free. Increase your focus. There's a link between focus and dieting. Medical studies indicated that people on diets have slowed reaction times and lesser ability to concentrate than people not on a diet. And lastly, going on a diet, it ain't no fun. And then you've got to ask yourself the question, do you really want your diet to run your life? Yeah, okay. It might give you a temporary fix for some issue, but it can cause severe mental and physical problems later. And in order to live healthy, happy, and free from the dieting chains that bind you to a specific food or foods, take control. So what do you do? Seriously, what could you eat that would make it so you don't have to go on a diet? What if you entertained nutrient-rich foods that you could enjoy without the feelings of guilt and putting health and happiness before image to take dieting off your menu? Seriously, what what is it? Look, oh man, my whole life, my parents were wonderful people. And every day for breakfast, pancakes for breakfast, bacon and eggs for breakfast, hamburgers for lunch, tuna fish sandwiches for lunch, chicken salad sandwiches for lunch, steak, brisket, lamb chops, pork, it goes on and on. For dinner, Fridays was dairy day, pasta loaded with cheese, pizza loaded with cheese, blintzes loaded with cheese, everything loaded with cheese, (coughs) cheese or sour cream or whatever. This is my whole life. So one day, back in 1975, I'm living with this lady in Aspen, 1975. Okay, I'm 36 years old. Yeah, I was born 1939. And she says to me, why don't we go on a vegetarian diet? And I said, okay. Out of, out of the blue. Didn't know anything about it. Figured, why not? I was I weighed about 100 and 98 pounds, thought I was in good shape. I skied every day. I said, okay. So about two days later, she splits with another guy and leaves Aspen and goes to the East Coast. And there I am. I'm in Aspen, Colorado. I just became vegetarian. I have no idea what to do. I just learned how to boil water. I thought brown rice was white rice with food coloring on it. I had no clue. No clue. So I'm walking around Aspen Town one day and I see this little restaurant called The Little Kitchen. And I walk in, it's a little vegetarian restaurant, and I said, 
hey, I just became vegetarian and I have no idea what to do. So I just lost my job with the Aspen Skiing Corporation. I was in the accounting department. I was letting my hair grow and they didn't like that. They wanted me to look like a suit and I couldn't look like a suit. So I said, uh, uh, how about if I wash your dishes, take out your trash, and you teach me about vegetarianism. And I said, okay. Then they asked me, where'd you work? How come you're out of work? Blah, blah, blah. I, said, I told them what happened. They said, well, add to the deal. If you do our tax return, we'll feed you. <laughs> I said, okay. So that was pretty good. That went on for a couple of weeks. This is now March of 1975. And I was talking with a buddy of mine because I wanted to get into some spiritual practice. And he said to me, go to Maui and uh, you'll find this guy on Maui and he'll help you with spiritual life. So I pick up this book written by a guy named Fodor, Fodor's Hawaii. And uh, I, I look on Maui and it says in Lahaina, there's a little vegetarian restaurant there called Mr. Natural." And I said, hell, man, I'm going to go to Mr. Natural's. I'm going to work there. Well, making a long story short, I went to Maui and I was working at Mr. Natural's for room and board, learning how to, you know, make him believe that I knew about vegetarianism working in a kitchen in a restaurant. And the reason I took room and board was because I was collecting unemployment from the Aspen Skiing Corporation because they fired me because my hair was growing too long. So here I am on Maui, and every day we used to go play volleyball. I, I told this story before, but it's really funny. We used to go play volleyball over at the Sheraton in Kanapali, which was down the road from Lahaina. And... Um, one one of the guys would stay back to prepare dinner. And I knew that I, I don't know how to prepare dinner. I would just learn how to make toast, you know. It's ridiculous. So as we're ready to go play volleyball, and I'm walking out the door, the guy says to me, where are you going? I said, play volleyball, yeah? He goes, no, it's your turn to cook dinner. He says, so we're leaving. You stay, and then we'll be back a couple hours. And now I tell you, man, I, I almost had diarrhea right there in that kitchen floor. I said, oh, my God. So I don't know what to do. I have to make dinner. I, I... <laughs> So there's a guy sitting out in the little dining area. There's one guy. I said, do you know how to cook? And the guy says, yeah. I, I don't know how to make one thing, enchiladas. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. But you got to come in. you got to help me make them. He says, well, my enchiladas are beanless and dairyless. I said, man, you're talking to the wall. I don't know what you're, I, I have no idea what you're telling me. So we bought all the ingredients for a little health food store next door, and we put together beanless, dairyless enchiladas. A couple hours later, the rest of the kitchen staff and the owner come back, and the guy says to me, what's for dinner? I said, enchiladas. He goes, oh, enchiladas? I said, yeah, but mine are beanless and dairyless. He says, really? I said, yeah. He said, can I taste it? I said, of course. He said, you own the place. Do whatever you want with it. So he takes a bite and he says, 
this is incredible. And with a straight face, I said, you expected anything less? And he said to me, how did you make this? What's the recipe? And I said, I have to get permission from my mother to give it to you because it's been in my family for years. Anyway, it was the only thing on the menu that we served two nights a week for dinner. We went from one dozen the first night to five and six, between five and six dozen every time we had it on the menu. And when it was on the menu, people used to walk down Front Street and Lahaina saying, enchiladas at naturals. And there was like standing room only. They couldn't believe it. And the other people in the kitchen were gourmet, gourmet chefs. And they were so ticked off that this one little hippie guy could put together a blockbuster like this. And one thing led to another, and I wound up getting a job in a natural food store when the restaurant closed. And I orchestrated the formation of a company called Down to Earth Natural Foods, which was the biggest natural food chain in Hawaii until Whole Foods moved in. And anyway, but that's a story for another time. But the point was, what I found was switching to a plant-based diet and eliminating all the hard-to-digest flesh foods. See, the human form has a convoluted intestinal tract. The carnivores have a straight line, which means when they chew meat, that passes straight out of their body. When a human eats meat, it's got to go back and round to a switchback road. So when you're eating rubber tires that stick at the switchback road that either inhibit blood flow or create diverticulitis or whatever, this is where degenerative disease comes from. So if you're going to go on a plant-based diet, you're on a flesh-based diet right now, maybe in the beginning it's difficult because you're not used to it. But trust me, within one month, you will thank yourself intensely. Your body will bow to you with great awe and respect because now it's finally healthy. Number one, you're eating unprocessed foods. Number two, you're getting a lot of fiber. Number three, the protein that you get in plant-based foods is just as nutrient-dense and just as effective as the protein that you get from a dead cow or a pig or a dead chicken or whatever. It's really not rocket science. That's how you're healthy. For me, I'm going to be 77 years old. I'm in two softball leagues. I do stand-up paddling. I hike. I swim uh, over a half a mile four times a week. I take, no, I, I take no meds and I have no illnesses. And I am nothing special. And if I can do it, you can do it. Anyway, I'm just trying to put the information out there for you guys to ingest. If you want to contact me, there's a lot of ways. At gmail.com, 808-252-258-1177, 
And you can also go to www.asaintdiet.com. And I am running out of time. And George Harrison's going to do his thing. And I'll catch you all next week. Aloha. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
gentlemen, I'm Alfred Addisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday, the 17th day of November, year of our Lord, 2015. I am a man made in God's image as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights as per the Declaration of Independence, second sentence of the Declaration of Independence, and I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union styled the United States of America. Now, having done, you know, done my little disclaimer, now I feel safe to proceed. My co-host is Frank Stefan. Frank, you there? Yes, and I don't feel safe. You don't feel safe? No. <laughs> well, I don't know. This is something to do with you don't have a lucky rabbit's foot then, apparently. Oh, I you do, but I still don't feel safe. Your paranoia is greater than my own. Then. Well, that's probably true. I mean, See, I can I can stop my paranoia with just saying a couple of little phrases and maybe a, a four-leaf clover. That's all it takes for me. Ah, but for um, how long does that last? Well, you got to say it pretty regular. Till the first, till the first article you read, and then it's like uh, okay, something like that. Better get back and say that again because, wow. First one I'm going to do. You've got. I, I assume you got the list of topics for tonight. I do, even though we we don't. We're not really that great at sticking to the list of topics. No, though. I know it's it's, it's a recommendation. <laughs> it's, it's it's not like a law or something like that. It's just kind of a recommendation. We'll try this. And we'll see what happens. All right. <laughs> but we're going to start tonight as with with the first link on the list, and it goes to and it refers to pledge allegiance. The pledge of allegiance. We're going to beat this or beat this to death, probably, or at least to, you know, let's see if we get it to surrender. Um, there are people who think that the Pledge of Allegiance, the modern Pledge of Allegiance, is actually something sinister, and it's a device to get people to make pledges that they don't really understand, to hook them into obedience to a system of government that is not really the constitutional government. And we're going to go through the Pledge of Allegiance backwards and forwards and up and down and see if we think, we do we agree with that uh, uh, conspiracy theory? Do we disagree? And for right now, what do you think about it, Frank? Do you, I, I, you know, there's something sinister or do you think it's just, you know? Well, I don't know about sinister, but as you said, I, I do agree that it's, something that it's a pledge obviously it says it's a pledge yep you're taking a pledge that you don't understand what you're saying and i i agree that that is 99 percent of the people that say the pledge of allegiance have no idea what they're doing what they're pledging to who they're pledging it to you know what a pledge is yeah or what a pledge is and and you know what are they doing here what are we doing when we when we make this statement put the hand over the heart stand up there in the football stadium set your you're coked down on the floor, and uh, you know the. We learned it as children, and we learned to recite it as children, but we don't really understand it. Nobody bothers to teach us what it means, and we're going to explore the possible meanings for the pledge tonight. It says, "I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God." indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
uh, just looking at it superficially, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, I don't. In, in that, I don't see anything. Uh, I really don't hear anything wrong. I mean, it, and it's only identifying who you're, uh, who and what you're pledging allegiance to. Who, and it's and it's just stating, okay, this is what you're pledging, and this is to who you're pledging. And it uses the United States of America, and it uses the Republic, for which the flag only stands for. It's not like you're, although they do say you're pledging allegiance to the flag and. And I don't know about pledging allegiance to a flag. I agree with you. you know. What am I pledging allegiance to a flag for? <laughs> All right? I mean, this, tell, this, this raises a really interesting question. If I am going to pledge my allegiance to a flag, then the flag is, well, traditionally, allegiance is something that a subject or a serf pledged to his to his lord, mm-hmm. uh, right, his earthly lord, and he pledged allegiance. But the deal was, what did you get in return for your pledge of allegiance? I'll take orders. I will fight for the for the you know the the dukedom or whatever it is that uh, that we're working for here. That's pledging allegiance to the duke. Fine, I will fight for the Duke and for this dukedom that he's got in RSS. But what do I get for it? Well, they don't kill you. Well, no, it's not just that. What you're supposed to get, allegiance, my understanding is that historically, allegiance was a two-way street. I mean, the people of medieval Europe, they were arguably more intelligent than the people are today, or more knowledgeable at least. They weren't going to just make some stupid pledge and get nothing in return for it. The pledge was, fine, I'll follow orders. I'm going to be your servant, rest that. But you are going to protect me when the Huns come over the hill and they try to steal, you know, whatever grain I've got and rape my wife. Right, that's for the nobility to do. Yeah. That you pledge your allegiance to. Yeah, we're pledging allegiance on condition that you provide protection. You get my allegiance, I get your protection. That's the deal historically with, yes, the, well, yes. with the concept of allegiance. So I'm pledging my allegiance to a flag. <laughs> now, what kind of protection do we get from a flag? And do we get protection from a flag? Can we sit back and argue, all right, I'm pledging my allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Does that mean that if I fly that flag on my home, if I affix a copy of that flag to my car, do I get some sort of protection from that flag? Hmm. I mean, this is very strange. Why are we pledging? You could pledge allegiance. I could see pledge allegiance to the government of the United States. Right? I could say, and instead of, I could say, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. Mm-hmm. All right? But why pledge allegiance to a flag? This opens a whole new... I, I think part of it also is... What is a flag? What is a flag? There's something going on with flags. Well, and also traditionally, though, it's not just it's not just protection you get from your allegiance. You're also, to ex- usually, if you're an able-bodied man, expected to perform in the military in some way 
for whoever it is you're, you know, pledging your allegiance to. And, you know, flags are, you know, battlefield uh, symbols that identify who's who in the zoo out there, you know, as as they are on ships and in, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, what's that uh, form of law? Uh, admiralty? Yeah. Maritime? Yeah, maritime admiralty law. You know, flags are very important when it comes to that. You know, it's an identifier to see who you're doing business with. Uh, that's all I can think. I mean, that's the only reason, the, the you know, the only thought I could think why they would, you know, say that. Why would you include that? Well, it indicates that there's far more significance to a flag than most of us suppose. Yeah, yeah. And I don't claim to understand it, but this does, the flag means something. And there are a variety of flags that can be flown. And, for example, everybody hears the stories, everyone listening to a program like this is probably familiar with the idea that the gold fringe on what appears to be the flag of the United States of America turns that flag into something completely different. It's not the flag of peace. It's not the flag of the people. It's the flag of the executive branch of government, flag of the president, flag of the military. There's mm-hmm. different yeah, theories. Depending on what color fringe. That fringe. That's not just a little decoration. It's not. That changes it. You know, and it's funny because uh, here in Jackson County, Oregon, we went through this with the county clerk up for elections. Uh, you know, they went out and got a bunch of new flags, and they all had gold fringes on it. And, it, it you know, a lot of people were, uh, I was one of them that, you know, went down and were saying, look, what are you doing? And she actually said, ignorantly or not, that, well, that's just a decoration. They look better. Uh huh. They're pretty, you know, that gold around it. It looks mm-hmm. good, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should hang a California smiley face on there. Yeah. That'd hey, there nice. you go. <laughs> you know, yeah. we could put one of the emoticons on there, or maybe a bunch of them. Instead of having fifty stars, we could have fifty emoticons. Then again, we went through this here in the Jackson County District Courts, and one of the judges in his courtroom, he said, "Okay, fine, I don't care." And he got himself a regular flag, right? At least yep. it looks like a regular flag. Uh, yeah. I didn't check the actual dimensions because usually they're a lot squarer than they're supposed yeah, to be. But, uh, you know, he, he got one without the fringe because it was bothering people and they were bringing it up and he said, fine. And, and, you know, so I don't know if by itself it's significant or it's just a symbol of something else that's going on and it's not necessary. But, it, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure because I don't know why he would take it out. Nothing changed in that court. You know, he kept running business the same way he always did. Yeah, I get that. I, he may not understand himself. I mean, there's all, you know, we we contend with the government on this, but it doesn't mean that everybody who works for the government has any idea what we're talking about. Oh, chances are most they of may them agree don't. with what most people think. Yeah. It's a benign institution that represents the people, and uh, what's the problem? And it's just a decoration that looks good. Yeah, just a decoration. We should maybe, you know, now we could get LED lights, too. We could do yeah, flashing now, LED lights where we have the, the stars. We I want Yeah, the whole flag. Just on be, one you know, side and, and flashing LEDs on the other side. Or just get a, you know, get one of those large screen TVs with a, just a, a moving picture of a flag. Well, know. it's hard to work when you're going in a parade, though. Well, you know, you, know, you need a really long <laughs> extension. Cord. Hey, haven't you heard of Wi-Fi? Yeah. Laptops and things like that. I mean, you know, we could do this. 
replace here's all. The next, here's the next thing about, well, here's another thing about this Pledge of Allegiance. It says, I pledge. Now, some people, there's some people who think this is this country, it constitutes a contract, and we've talked about it before. A pledge is not a contract. A pledge, although sometimes they may call it a unilateral contract, but it's not a contract, in my opinion, because there is no meeting of the minds. Yeah, I think that word oxymoron comes to mind when people say unilateral contract, because if it's unilateral, it's not a contract. And it's like Federal Reserve. It's not federal. Uh, and there's nothing really in reserve that has tangible value, or there may not be. We don't know that to be sure, but uh, we don't know that for sure. Nothing of theirs, anyway. They might be stealing somebody else's stuff and saying, we're using that as collateral. Let's suppose a, a pledge is just one person say, I pledge this. And you're bound by that pledge, legally bound by that pledge, and the example used whenever we talk about this is some of you have heard this before. If the PBS TV station in your in your city, if they hold a pledge drive, and you call up and you say, I pledge to send $100 to support PBS. And they'll say, well, thank you very much. And they may even announce it on the program. And they've got you know people sitting at the desk and say, well, Bob Johnson just pledged $100. PBS. Yay! Hooray and he got Bob. the free tote bag. He has a free tote bag. <laughs> hey, you can't pass up a chance to get a tote bag. If you don't send that $100 in a reasonable period of time, they'll start leaning on you to get it. Well, what, and what, Legally, it will be, your pledge will be enforced. If the pledge can be proved, absolutely. it will be enforced. What they'll so do is, is they'll send you a bill. This is a legal agreement. They'll send you a bill. And then they'll just collect it like any other bill. They'll just take you to small claims or they'll just, uh, you know, whatever they do. And if you end up in small claims and they go, well, you know, here's the recording or whatever, or witnesses, or he pledged this. Yeah. You better have, you know, you better be able to deny that or something or else that small claims court is going to say, well, (laughs) you owe that. I suspect that when you get a driver's license, for example, or you get a bank, you you get a bank account and you sign the bank signature card. You're the only one who signs that bank signature card. I think it's a pledge to obey the government, the laws of the United States. It's a unilateral document where you have pledged, "I will obey the laws of the United States." Yep, a pledge to perform. And they don't when when they just the pledge. A pledge all by itself doesn't bind the other side to anything. It essentially says, you're saying, I owe you $1,000. And you're not saying, I owe you $1,000 if you send me a new flat screen TV. You're just saying, I owe you $1,000. That's a pledge. Now, how do you get around it? Uh, Don't make the pledge. Well, that's one way. (laughs) The other way is this. If there's a contract... You have a meeting of the minds. You have two or more people, the signatories. How many signatures do you have on the bottom of the document? If you've got two or more, then you probably then you probably have a contract. Or you, you might have a trust. But a pledge, one signature. I pledge means one signature on the document, one man, one mind, one whatever. And what that means is I, because I am the only one who made this pledge, 
I'm the only one who knows what I meant when I used those words. So now if we get into a debate, a push-and-shove contest over the Pledge of Allegiance or the pledge when you sign, you get to get, go to get a driver's license, then you sign down there on the driver's license. I think you're just pledging to obey their laws. Huh? But the pledge means what I say it means because I'm the only one who used the words. And every one of the words in here has multiple definitions. Mm-hmm. All right? And therefore, I don't know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There's probably about 25 words in the Pledge of Allegiance. And there's probably an average of three different definitions for each of those words. Some of them will have more, some will have less. <laughs> so I think that translates into 25 to the third oh, possible meanings for the pledge. That translates into 625 times 25, if I'm, and whatever that is, Frank, figure does, it out. Does vague and ambiguous come to mind? It comes, it's, well, a lot of choices here, for it's sure. It's almost like anything you say, anything you write down could it's be exactly. vague and ambiguous. Absolutely. We talked, did that article and posted on the blog, and we've talked about it on the program in the past, but reading is guessing. Was the headline? It was the was the title of the article, and it pointed out that the root of the word "read" is to guess. That's the root meaning, or one of the root meanings of the word "read." And the reason it's guess is because we're reading something. Somebody put some words on a piece of paper. In theory, he's not here to say what. The, what, what did you mean when you said this? He's not there. So you've got to guess what did he mean when he used that word. And this is, and it's no surprise. For example, I'm, well, I, there are a lot of words that are used every single day. And depending on context and who the author is, they, mean, they can mean completely different things. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is gay. There was a time when, when people were happy and gay. Now they're not necessarily happy and gay. No, right? Mostly angry and uh, bitter and gay. Yeah, maybe that would be <laughs> that might be too. Time for a new song, I guess. <laughs> so the point, you when you read words like that, and particularly when you're talking about different generations, I mean they have a completely different, you know, what's hot, what's cold, what's uh, you know cool, um, you know. Well, yeah, the kids now, you know, they say things like, man, that's sick. Yeah, no. Sick. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy, <laughs> man. You know. <laughs> yeah. Wow, really? All right, so what did they mean? Well, it depends. How old was the speaker? Yeah. You know, you almost have to find out how old was the guy that said he's crazy. Did he, is, he, is he a college graduate um, who, may, who really means crazy in the sense of psychologically insane? Or does he mean this is far out? And what does far out mean? <laughs> How old is the guy who's using the term far out? I mean, by the time we get into the definitions of the definitions, oh, says I could be wrong. A well-regulated militia being necessary. All right. When the militia comes together, when the militia is called out, the militia is well-regulated. But the individuals who comprise the militia 
are we've got a separate set of rights here and say, well, they're they right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Because they've got to have arms when they're called up to serve in the militia. You regulate the militia, but until the militia is in an action right now, still the people have to have their own guns just in case the militia is called up. You see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, that'd be a much better way to look at it by today's definitions of regulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you search back... You can regulate my use of the gun whenever I'm part of the militia. But when you look back to you know the papers that they wrote to each other and the discussions they had while they were coming up with this, that isn't what they meant. What they meant was well-armed and well-trained. They expected the government, basically, to have some kind of all right, look, here's uh, you know, everybody in the town, you know, either, you know, whether you buy it yourself or it's issued to you, whatever, you all need a gun, and you're all going to have to learn how to use it. And that was supposed to be the government's thing. They were supposed to do that. You know, they do even to this day. Now, I can see where they'd train you, but still the right of the people sure. to keep and bear arms. It, I mean, it tells me the right of the people to own their own gun. Right, right. And then... And you do whatever you want. You get to own your gun, you buy it, you pay for it, you get. You have the right to keep and bear arms. You right. do. But when we call you up to participate in the militia, then you have to, you bring your own gun. You say they got to be well-armed, fine, arm yourself. But we will regulate you and train you once you show up for the militia. Well, and that makes, yeah. that that is all kind of what they're saying. I mean, I don't think that they had any ideas of, you know, dragging people out and training them against their will. But if the militia was called out, they were certainly going to train them. And, you know, they do have a program, the Civilian Marksmanship Program. Yep. And that used to be run out of the Pentagon. Yep. Now that they've privatized it, but it's in Title X. You know, that this is one of their obligations. And, you know, they... You mean like providing gold and silver coins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, except this is one that they'll they'll still do, but... You know, I mean, you're not getting any great money deal. You know, you're paying, you know, pretty good money for an M1, uh, you know, or carbine. And, uh, you know, they'll send it to you through the mail. And, uh, you know, it's, it's different than anybody else gets to do. But they're still now, they're private. But it's part of their obligation of a well-regulated militia. And everyone who is able-bodied, and I guess, now, you know, here's the question. I mean, if you're just here in able body, do you have an obligation to be in the militia, or do you have to be a citizen? I'm not well, sure. Here, here's the other question. If you are not able-bodied and able to be in the militia and perform effectively in the militia, do you still have the right to keep and bear arms? I think so, yeah. I do, too. It says the people's, the way I understand, again, I'm not reading but the people's right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Well, and even if you can't get into the militia, you're 4F, can't get right. in, you still have the right to keep and bear arms. Sure. But if you do go and join the militia, you got to, but if you are called up in the militia, you got to bring your own gun. Sure. Or submit to training. It is, or whatever it is. You, I mean, this is the kind of thing where, and they don't talk about firearms in the Second Amendment. They talk about arms. And I have very little doubt that the term firearms is something that is part of the part of government that we don't, you know, on this program that we're suspicious of and that we don't particularly like. 
firearms, I'll bet you, is defined in a way where if is that your firearm, she said, yeah, that's my firearm. Uh-huh. Guess what? You know, that's like saying, do you, under, do you understand the charges again? Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, yeah, I understand the charges. Great. Now go to jail. Yeah. We'll come looking for you in 20 years or so, see if you would like to get out. Well, it's just like, you know, taxpayer. Well, oh, are, are you a taxpayer? Well, if you mean, do I pay taxes? Well, yeah. Every time I buy gasoline, I pay taxes. But uh-huh. the thing is, taxpayer is another word. And it's like, do I have arms, a gun? Yeah. Is it yeah. a firearm? No, I don't think so. You know, I'm not going to admit that. I think the firearms, the way I look at things, we talk about it on a regular basis, two venues, two planes, essentially, of government. We've got the United States of America and the States of the Union on one side, and we've got the United States and, and territories, administrative districts, and states of the United States on the other. The rights we think we have, that most people expect us to have, I think are found only in the states of the Union and the United States of America. Go into the United States, you go into that venue or that plane, I don't think you I, I don't think you have the rights you imagine yourself to have and you certainly don't have those rights in the territory. Depending what United States means. Yeah, that's the other <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, well, I don't know. Hoover and Allison, again, they Hoover and Allison versus Evett case from about I don't know, 1949, if I remember correctly, but in that in that vicinity, if I if I remember correctly, they provided three definitions of the term United States. They said it could mean this, could mean this, and it could mean this, but they never said there were only three. They never said that's it. We've exhausted the list. There are no more. There might be 33 definitions. They named three. And they also said in Hooven versus Allison that the Supreme Court would never consider that question again. Huh. Oh, yeah, that's something right there. Yeah. What? That's what? The end of that. Never going to consider. That means there's more to the definition of the United States that they didn't want to reveal, and they didn't want somebody to come up there and say, well, what about the fourth definition? <laughs> what about that one? Or the fifth or the tenth? No telling how many definitions of the United States there really are. Well, and the one thing, though, is that court is gone. And this Which new court, court is gone? Well, the one that made that decision. There's all yeah. new people now, and they may take that question. You know, it's just like this court right here. I mean, you know, it only took two years, and they reversed themselves. I mean, two years ago they said, well, you know, the Defense of Marriage Act is unconstitutional because the federal government doesn't have any authority to go into the states to define what a marriage is. Yep. Okay, fine. I agree with that, by the way. But then they turn around two years later, same exact court, and says, oh, we're deciding within the states, homos getting married is marriage. Well, wait a minute. You just said that you didn't have the authority two years ago. Now all of a sudden you do? Well, they said they didn't have the authority within the states, and I believe they meant the states of the union. They do have the authority to allow, authorize, whatever, homosexual marriage relationships in the territories. I mean, it's a question of what state. For me, if we've got two different distinctions, I don't think they reversed themselves. I would guess that they're talking about a real marriage within states of the Union. GovFeds have no, have no authority to intrude on that 
enter into the states to mess with a, a legitimate marriage. But if you're in one of these territorial states and or administrative districts two years later, Feds, yeah, absolutely, under Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2 of the Constitution, the Fed has exclusive legislative jurisdiction over the territories. And you know, it normally, tell you what to do. I think they're talking about two different states. See, normally I would that's agree. Suspicion. I don't know if that's true or false. I'm no, just normally saying. I'd agree. It just seems uh, really, really disingenuous. And I really, I'd, like, I'd love one of these clerks that, you know, is saying, well, I'm not doing it anyway, right? You know, I don't care. Uh, to stand up and instead of just saying that it's my religious, uh, you know, belief that I this is wrong, so I can't. Yep. But, but also saying not only that, I'm upholding federal law. And have them say, what do you mean? Well, the Defense of Marriage Act. Well, that's been deemed unconstitutional. And argue that, no, you overturned that. Now you now it must be constitutional because you obviously have, think you have the jurisdiction now to run around doing this. So, bang, it's back, baby, and I'm I'm <laughs> the only federal law concerning this I'm upholding because it says marriage is between one man and one woman. I'm upholding that and let them let them you know spin in the breeze about that a while and tell everybody, well, yeah, that would be true. But you see, when we said United States, we meant the territories. We meant something totally different. Yeah, I understand. Let that. them do that. You know, I, I I would consider them doing having to do that publicly a victory in itself. Oh, I agree. And I think that if you could raise that kind of issue, and I think some people may have done so, they'll make the case disappear before they're going to consider that issue in public. Yeah, yeah. I, right? I think the case so. will just do it. That's it. And uh, based on some technicality or something, or say, well, that's it. The case has to be dismissed. And or, and or make a settlement or... Or my favorite. It. They won't deal with that issue or those kinds of issues. Or my very favorite, in the interest of justice. Oh, yeah. We're getting rid of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that one. And in fact, that's interesting because, again, the Pledge of Allegiance says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Well, the point I'm getting to is maybe the justice is the correlative on the on the allegiance. Maybe if justice for all, maybe that's the deal, where I pledge allegiance to this government on condition that this government provides me with justice. I agree. And, you know, this is, it's funny that... You, because I've I've had this argument over and over again with people about Romans 13, mm -hmm. which a lot of people know that's well. Pastors tell you, well, you got to be obedient to the government because yep. all the you know governments were put here by God, and it does say that in the first verse, but then it goes on to describe what these kings that you basically owe your allegiance to, because that's what it's talking about. Obey them. Yeah. What is required from them? Yep. To you obey know, God's law. And it's like, look, man, if you're not, if you don't fit the bill here, I don't owe you squat. Yep. That's right. It says because they're there to, I can't, I don't recall the term, words exactly, but it says in Romans 13, it says because you have to obey them because they're there to enforce God's law. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, to, to you know, the evil fear them and the good are rewarded and all uh-huh. that goes on, you know. And, that uh-huh. you know, if that ain't happening, I don't owe you anything. That's exactly right. And, if you again, this gives this, – this is the sort of thing that you can apply with your freedom of religion argument and sit back and say, yeah, you guys are not obeying God's law. You're not even recognizing his existence. You are denying, for example, that we are men and women made in God's image and embracing the theory of evolution. Presume us all to be animals under your drug laws, definition of drugs, food, and medical devices. Presume that we're all animals. You're not obeying God's law, so how do I get stuck with having to obey you under Romans 13? Yeah, or then we go to the pledge. I don't see a lot of justice happening. You know, so well, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of obscure term, though. And what I'm getting to is, you, in the interest of justice, yeah. <laughs> all right, they dump, they drop a case. Well, this might be the source of that power and obligation. I'm not going to bet on it. I'm just speculating. But with the declar, or excuse me, the Pledge of Allegiance is with liberty and justice for all. Well, the judge has given you the dose of justice that you were promised to be entitled to under the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, maybe. I don't know that to be true. Let's go back to the pledge here a little bit. And uh, One Nation Under God, that was, la- that was added in 1954. And what the nation was there, but Under God was added in 1954. Um, the word nation was capitalized in 1954, where previously it had not been capitalized. But under God, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's I think that's useful, and I think it tends to refute the uh, the idea that the Pledge of Allegiance was intended to be sinister. I think it's confused. I think this pledge is confused, and it might be that you could, you know, it's like anything else. You can use it for good. You can use it for 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 evil if you care to. Um, if you're clever and shrewd, you can push it both ways. But when they, insofar as they included under God, that the only government we have to, the only republic that we have to pay attention to is the one that's under God. That won't be any collectivist government. That won't be a communist, socialist, or democracy. Those are not under God. They They, they see man as the and in the collective sense, is the sovereign. Um, they can do anything they want, which means anything they vote for. They're not bound by God's law. So we're looking for a republic that is under God, and that would only be, in my opinion, republican form of government, guaranteed, expressly guaranteed, I think at Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution of the United States. The republican form of government. Do you know if they do they still uh, do the Pledge of Allegiance at school every day? Because they I don't think when they I was do. there. I don't think they do, okay. and I think it's one of the reasons why this may not be a bad situation. It's being phased out. I don't, you know, I don't see it the way I had, you know, when we were kids. Right. You got it every day. Yeah, you stood up. All right, know. and if you had an assembly. You know, every all right, we'll start the assembly with a pledge, face the flag, and we're all going to uh, pledge allegiance to the flag. That's oh, fine. Did it all the time. I no mm. telling how many times I pledged yeah, allegiance I back when I was <laughs> when I was too young to know how to spell allegiance. I was already pledging it. You know, 
Well, hey, you know what? No matter how many times it is, it's a lot of times if we can still remember it. Well, it's another thing. What if, you know, again, this is a pledge, which means these words mean what I say they mean because I'm the only one making this pledge. There's no meeting of the minds. It doesn't have to mean doesn't have to mean what you and I might otherwise agree to. Oh, and I'm sure. If I, if I pledge it, means what I say. And is the pledge made by a child binding? I don't think so. Well, I agree. That's another. That's another point. Yeah, we did most of our pledging. There's a good chance that most the average person who has said the pledge of allegiance has probably said it. Ninety percent of the time, they've said it in their lives. They probably said it when they were perhaps too young to be bound by it. Yep. Now what? Now what you got? I mean, this is strange stuff, but I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, particularly if they're not teaching this to the kids in, in grade school and high school, the way it was when, when, when I was, you know, grade school and yeah, high school. Yeah, me too. I can't imagine they're doing this just so they, you know, save a couple of minutes a day. I'm going to guess that they have an ulterior motive, and that means that implies that there's something about the Pledge of Allegiance that the existing government doesn't like. Well, I know one if thing. If they don't like it, then maybe I want to include a copy of it. Well, I know one thing. my affidavits. One thing they don't like is under God. Oh, I'm sure. You know, they don't like, they obviously don't like that. I mean, I understand. they've made that pretty clear. Yeah. Um... And the other thing, the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. We're pledging allegiance to both a flag and a, and a republic. Why not just pledge allegiance to the republic? I could understand pledging allegiance to the republic, but I am still confused. Uh, I don't have an explanation for this. There is I kind of do. About flag. I don't get it. I kind of do, but it's not. It doesn't mean it's true, but it's. It could be that you know a republic is kind of an abstract idea. It doesn't really exist. It's an idea. A flag is something that you can you know it's tangible. You can okay there it is. You know that's the only thing I could think of why they would do that. Well, I get that. I get that. It's like having relics for a church that people can sure yeah with just some the rosary. Yeah, something like that. You know, that. Yeah, yeah. it needs the statues of the Madonna and the uh, the Messiah and the you know Joseph and whatever in the Catholic Church. People find it helpful to have something physical that they can kind of look at and think about, even though the Bible says no idols. But blah blah blah. What's the Bible know? <laughs> yeah. Um. Right. Well, one of what other. One other thing I wanted to talk a little about was I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. And that presumably is referring to this republic. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Where's liberty come from? God. Exactly. In the preamble of the Constitution... It refers to the blessing of liberty. Blessings flow from God. It doesn't say the benefit of liberty. Right. It says the blessings of liberty. And in the Declaration of Independence, we have 
It says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Liberty comes from God. It comes from your creator. You know, I I know there's people out there that think going in detail like this in, in, in documents and words is, is ridiculous. But yep. you've got to realize, like, okay, just that question right there. Well, where does liberty come from? God. Okay, fine. Let's say you're in front of a uh, an adversary because that's what court is. And they, you know, you're doing your thing and they're not going to cut you any slack. And what if they ask you, "Oh, and where does your liberty come from?" God. How do you know that? Yep. Well, because I have a faith in that they're not going to buy that. It's a no. court of law. But no. when you go back and say, "Well, Declaration of Independence, of the Constitution. Yeah, blessings come from God. Liberty is a blessing. It says so in the founding documents of this nation. Yep. Well, they have a problem, then. They have a problem. You know. Now they look at you and say, is this... You know, in the interest of justice... Is this idiot actually persistent enough where he'll take his case to the Supreme Court? And not because the Supreme Court will hear it necessarily. But will he take it up there anyway? Yeah, and you might win before you ever get anywhere near there. Oh, yeah, you might lose all the way. But uh, as you're losing, you may also attract a certain amount of attention (laughs) from the public where they say, wait a second, why won't the Supreme Court hear that case? Seems to me that this guy's got an argument. Yeah. You know, I mean, by the time sometimes you can get into these conflicts, and even if you don't win, you wind up educating your neighbors. And all of a sudden, for some of them, maybe the light goes on and say, you know, I think, you know, I voted to convict that guy, but the more I think about it, I think maybe he was right. Yep. You know, that's the way it works sometimes. I mean, you cannot expect to advance an argument, even if it's true. You can't expect it to necessarily work until people kind of, they got to hear it a bunch of times. It's like advertising. Um, the key to advertising is repetition. Most people don't even pay attention to an ad. They've done studies until three to five times. They've got to see the ad, hear the ad three to five times before it even registers in their consciousness. Boy, they've done a good job with the Pledge of Allegiance from that perspective, huh? Well, you kids yeah. are going to say this every day uh-huh. for, what, 12 years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If that doesn't stick in your head, you're not learnable. Well, th- yeah, I guess that's probably true. <laughs> today they have today you get a we're going to give you a doggy treat if you'll salivate when the light goes on. We're yeah. going to flash a blue light and when the blue light goes on, if we can see saliv- saliva drill, drill, dribbling down your chin and if you say arf arf then we'll give you a doggy treat. How about that? Yeah, and when we what ask you, and for your test, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel exactly. good. Well, you get an A. Yep. Yay! I feel confused and bewildered, and I don't understand what well, you flunk. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> you're asking questions, you little SOB. Yeah, that's you right. pay for that. Go see the school nurse. She has some Prozac for you. Yeah. That's, then you know, they're doing that, too, which is just, Unbelievable, because you know kids are being kids, looking out the window, being distracted on a sunny, warm day when they're locked in a classroom, and they're looking outside. There must be something wrong. 
Yeah, there's something odd about that kid. He doesn't. Uh, he behaves like a child. <laughs> yeah. We need to stop that. And how do you stop it traditionally? The spanking. Exactly. You can't spank him anymore. So what do we do? Drug you can't him. Spank him. We'll drug him. That's all. And uh, who knows? <laughs> Before it's done, they may equip the classrooms with some sort of gas dispersion devices. It'll be like it'll be like the showers at Auschwitz or something <laughs> like that. The kids get a little uppity. We just give them a gas and just that'll calm them down. Yeah, calm well, them right down. You know. Well, you know, it's funny because we used to joke around the the, the Walmart here before they went all twenty four hours a day. Used to close at like eleven o'clock, and they they and uh, you know all, all, all most of the stores around here do close, and you know they're usually mostly nice about it. But at Walmart. When you were there at closing time, I mean, over the loudspeakers, it was like, the store is being closed, all associates, uh, and they had some, you know, uh, check your areas. That, but, you know, two, Get the you know, cattle prods. Yeah, that's right. The we're like, whoa. Of you know, out of there. We used to joke. It's like, man, we would have got out of here. The gas is about to come on, you know. <laughs> like, you know it was really, really uh, like out of some, you know, weird futuristic movie. It's funny, but you You know know, it might be that's why they keep the stores open all the time. It's easier to keep all the open all the time than it is to try to push them out. Yeah, eleven o'clock at night. It's just too much trouble. Or just they want to sleep here, they can sleep here. You've probably seen some of those videos on Walmart people or photographs of Walmart people. It's quite a place. Yeah, that's it. It's I don't know. It's a culture. Yeah, it might be. It's, um, it's not a good culture, but it's a culture. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Let's go back to the declaration again and take a look. Here's on Wikipedia. You can go to a link at Wikipedia that deals with Pledge of Allegiance, and they list the one, two, three, four versions of the Declaration of Independence. First one, according to the Wikipedia, was 1892. And it says, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It says, I pledge allegiance to my flag. Where is this? This is in Wikipedia. Oh. Um, uh, It's on Pledge of Allegiance, the subject of Pledge of Allegiance at Wikipedia. Wow, I've never heard that before. My flag. Well, that's what it says. that's what it says according to them. <laughs> that, well, you know, you can, the reason it's interesting is you can look at there are four versions, one from 1892, another one from 1923, another one from 1954. Well, actually it translates, it works out to three. Yeah. This isn't well done. Their, their, their explanation of the time on this thing doesn't, isn't exactly coherent, but Regardless, one of them apparently starts in 1892. And then on 1923, they get a second version. 1954, they get a third version. And then they have something after that, which is a fourth version. It doesn't clearly specify. There's some confusion here in the way they've got this strung out. But I'm just saying, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands. Now, what is my flag? Well, I guess if I'm a citizen or something, or a subject, 
Mm-hmm. It could be the same flag, the United States flag or whatever. I don't know. The it state could be flag? The flag of the state of Texas or yeah, the flag yeah. of the state of Oregon. What is my flag? Not the flag. And they later on, the next, the next change says, I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic. They added the word to. Originally says, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands. Now it says, I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands. I'm not sure if that's just a grammatical correction. I think that's maybe all that is. I'm not sure. And here's another one. I pledge, and all of them say, I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All what? Yeah. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. All animals? All or subject women made in God's image? Or what is this? What do they mean by all? It's got to do it I suppose it's members of the republic or the people that are that are uh, the but the word all last last word and even in the modern in modern version with liberty and justice for all still says it. All what? All citizens, all people? All animals, all what? What do they talk about here? Right? These are the kinds of questions where, you know, you can, you know, you mentioned before, a lot of people think we're crazy to debate or discuss this kind of issue. It's a little like how many how many angels can dance on the head of a pimp. Well, and that's all right until you're in court and you're having to defend how many angels are dancing on that pen. Or you're... You're, you're challenging it. Dancing on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, yeah, or you're challenging it. You know, maybe the state says there's 20 angels dancing on that, and you're saying, I don't believe there is. Prove it. You know, but, you know, just for conversation, yeah, it can be, uh, you know, just cerebral and, oh, yeah. But, hey, the, these things can be they can become a part of your real life really quickly. And it's not just. A situation where you sit back and say, well, if you can debate the Declaration of Independence or if you can debate the Pledge of Allegiance and go through all this little uh, this this discussion of all these little fine points and potential points, whether you're ever going to have an opportunity or be put in a position where you have to do it, where you get into some sort of a debate as to the meaning of the Pledge of Allegiance is very unlikely. But this is one of these things that you do for practice. Mm-hmm. It's short and brief, maybe 25 words. I don't know how many are in the modern pledge exactly. Uh, maybe a little bit more, but 25 words more or less. Right? And you can see, if you just get hold of this idea that words are so powerfully important and they are so indistinct and inherently ambiguous, because they have multiple definitions. Which definition are you talking about? If you've got 25 words and three definitions for each word on average, again, it's 25 to the third. You have, you figure out what are the total possible meanings here. You have 25 times 25 times 25 out of just 25 words. So, oh, I know what it means. No, you don't. And on top of which, you can control the meaning yourself. And whatever it is, if you can get them to engage, well, didn't you pledge such and such and such and such, 
in the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> well, now they've opened up a big can of worms. Gosh, the no. same thing with the driver's license. So what I'm trying to illustrate, you may never have to do anything. The debate about the Pledge of Allegiance may never come up in anyone's life. I've never heard of it coming up in anyone's life. Maybe you have. I don't know. No, no, I haven't. But I could, I could envision where you know. I, I don't think they'd ever bring it up, you know, no. against you. But you could certainly, if you could fit it into whatever you were doing as a part of something else, and just use it as another piece of evidence that look, you have an obligation here, justice for all, no well, justice, no, no allegiance under God. Well, yeah, that too, and no, none of that, then no allegiance. Yeah, right. If you guys aren't under God, I don't have any allegiance to you. If I don't have any allegiance to you, what is my obligation to obey your silly-ass laws? Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah. Now, what are you going to do with that? This sounds like a dumb question. You know, it sounds like a stupid question, but the truth of the matter is if they are saying, well, you're obligated to obey these laws, and I said, maybe I'm not. My pledge of allegiance is to the nation under God. Your laws are clearly ungodly. And if I can make that argument in a compelling way, do they want to continue to prosecute, or would they prefer... <laughs> just to ship me off to Guantanamo. I think unless there's a a body or something, they're not going to want to proceed. I know. You know, because it's... Uh, uh, so I had somebody left a comment on the blog, on my blog, just, uh, just, just today I think I saw it. And he said, the main thing I've learned from this blog, he's there on a pretty regular basis, so the main thing I've learned on this blog is an appreciation for language and the importance and power of words. And that's what we're trying to communicate here. Right? Yeah, and I I pulled out my handy dandy little calculator on my computer. Yep, twenty five words, three definitions, three definis, definitions each. You have a possible fifteen thousand six hundred twenty five mm-hmm. different combinations that, that could yeah. be. Yeah. Uh huh. And that's an average of three definitions per word. You know, you get hold of. What is it? The the big English Oh the Oxford big thing they have at the beginning of the library or something? Yeah, it's a monster. Yeah. Yeah, it's a monster. And I think what I'm I'm not sure if it's it's not the Encyclopedia Britannica, but um it might be the Oxford Dictionary of English and Website. There's several volumes if I understand correctly. Now they've got I'll bet they can find... The, we're looking at 25 words here or thereabouts. <laughs> you pull that dictionary out. And the judge is going to order the bailiff to pull his... <laughs> shoot this! Shoot the man! He's got a damn dictionary! Get him out of here! He'll yep. tear this whole place apart. He has a dictionary! He's a terrorist, for God's sake. He's studying language. Well, and you know this little thing about pulling up this calculator and doing it? Mm-hmm. Math is considered an exact science. And when you're in court, this kind of stuff goes a long way. When you can say, well, listen, this is vague and ambiguous. Oh, well, no, it's not. It's very clear. And it's like really very clear, is it? Well, there's like three definitions for every word. There's 25 words. Actually, it's 31. I just counted. Well, then it's even worse. But, you know, it's like, okay, look, there's over 15,000 different combinations. That will all mean something different. Yeah. How is that not vague and ambiguous, Your Honor? Yeah. You know, I you mean, know, really. It is, it's the Achilles heel of the whole system. 
how many laws can they write? They keep on trying to write, they try to write the laws that with greater and greater precision and exactitude, and they write like lawyers and so on. Why? They're trying to duck exactly the kinds of issues we're talking about here. They're trying to get away from whatever is vague and ambiguous, but the problem is every time they add another word, yep, right, they have just added three or four or five more definitions, and they have magnified the problem. And the more words they add, the bigger the problem becomes. They add more words in order to try to create more precise meaning, and the truth of the matter is they create more imprecision. This seems and the like... whole thing becomes open to debate, and we can say, and shrewd lawyers do this yep. all the time. Sounds like the nature of government. Yeah. The more they try to fix things, the more they screw it up. You know, I mean, That's... even something very simple like thou shall not kill. Oh, yeah. Hell, kill? Well, wait a minute now. The, you know, I believe it means murder. Yep. But other people will argue that and say, no, it says kill. That means you can't kill anything. And there are people that, you know, they run their life that way with that belief that, no, killing, you can't kill anything. You know, they, they go around bugs, and they try not to kill no, anything, you know? I mean, and, and, and that's the pretty Hindu clear. Approach. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Thou shall not kill. That's really simple, and yet it's still... Three words. <laughs> it still Clinton, comes up for an argument. Clinton famously, notoriously pointed out, it all depends on what the meaning of is is. Yep. Now, for average person, again, sit back, what do you mean? What the, everybody knows what is means, and the truth is that actually everybody doesn't know. In fact, only a handful of people, if anybody knows. And even if you know what is means, when I say the word is right now, um, it doesn't mean that you know what the meaning of is is the next time I say it. Yeah. And Given if there are multiple definitions, it can mean one thing in one sentence and one thing in another sentence and another thing in a third sentence. This is the system is vulnerable to this sort of thing. Yeah, it is. And the Senate, like any court, said, "Get out of here. Get, get out of here. We're we're not prosecuting anymore. Get out." And mm -hmm. and Slick Willie slid. Yeah, I know. I think that's where he got his name, Slick Willie. Probably. No, because I think he had to say that was pretty he had slick. It before, and he was slick before he got impeached. Well. That